We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we're for the people of Missouri. We're for brewmasters, stockbrokers, beauty queens, and truck drivers. Whatever you do, if you're a Missourian, we're for you. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we've got Missouri covered. Welcome to the home stretch. I am Sterling Holmes. Um, don't know the best way to do this. There is not going to be a best way of doing this. After what transpired last night as we try and navigate the um, turbulent waters to try and forge ahead, we are going to try and do tonight's show as normal as possible, focusing on, on sports, and we will be live with any updates that we get or receive and take a look at from, again, the horrific shooting that happened at the uh, celebration, the parade, Kansas City's Super Bowl celebration, back-to-back yesterday. So um, our ha- our hearts go out, obviously, to everyone who was there, everyone who was involved, the person who lost their life, their family, everyone, the kids who, who were in Children's Mercy Hospital recovering, recuperating. Um, our hearts go out to you, but we don't know how to navigate. And we obviously understand that a lot of people tune in, especially to sports radio, to try and take their minds off of tragedies that happen. Um, So we will do our best to move forward the best we can. Um, Again, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone who were there, involved, and who were hurt or injured by yesterday's tragedy. Again, I am Sterling Holmes. Kyle is behind the glass. We will have a uh, fun show with Matt Derrick joining at 7.15, talking Chiefs with Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest. We're joined by David Lesky from Inside the Crown at 8 p.m. We'll talk some Royals baseball. We'll talk the new stadium. We're going to talk Bobby Witt Jr. We're going to talk about the rotation, uh, the potential rotation. Because, again, I, I don't know if I've ever been so excited about a 56-win team. And the sad part is, as Royals fans, we have many 50-some-odd-win teams to choose from so that we had hope going into the next season. But this one feels different. Maybe I'm just naive yet again. Maybe I'm too optimistic. But can't wait to talk to Lesky and get his thoughts about what next year's Royals team, with, again, all these moving parts, what they have in store. Um, they'll be joined by Daniel Harms in the 9 o'clock hour, talking more Chiefs football with him. A look ahead at what the offseason might bring for Kansas City. Uh, Kyle, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Sterling. I'm ready to go. It's exciting. We're going to have some Royals talk back on the airways. Yeah, you missed it? Yeah. As as you see from my 2015 (laughs) Royals quarter zip for my Royals socks I'm rocking right now. Oh, yeah. And obviously, the uh, the Chiefs, they, they dominated the news cycle, and that's completely understandable. But at heart, I am I am a baseball guy. Yeah. And I am excited, even though they they did win the final game of the, of the regular season to avoid setting the franchise record <laughs> for losses. The only way is up. Yeah, the Royals and Chiefs both won the final game of their season. One was for a Super Bowl, and one was to not break yeah. the the record for ineptitude. Right. Yeah, it was cool. I will also point out I apologize for my voice. I am very congested. I spent a week in Vegas, six days in Vegas, by the way. I think you're guaranteed. Like, I'm surprised I didn't sign a waiver that said you will come back sick. 
Like you will come back guaranteed with it with an illness. Uh, you will not know what said illness is, but you will come back with one. So I apologize for my voice. Um, just like I question how parking's going to be downtown for the Royals. Uh, like me, I hope. Well, it's congestion. It's a lot of congestion. All right. When I look back on the Super Bowl, one of the things that I see and find fascinating that I didn't realize at the time. Do you know how many yards rushing Mahomes had? I do. Yeah. Okay, you do. But it was more than I expected. It was more than you expected, right? Like and I'm sure a lot of betters who hit the over were very happy. Going back and watching again, I was shocked to see how consistently often Mahomes took off. And we even saw designed runs for him, which is something you rarely see. Which brings me back to an interesting tidbit I have. Royals fans, myself, a lot of the media, even people who were high on the Chiefs, at least as high as they could be until as long as they could be. When Christmas hit, we thought it was done. We thought, okay, no more hope. It's over. And Andy and Veach and all the players, they kept saying, we're going to figure it out. We're going to work it. We're going to make this work. They did. And even in the first half, and into the second half, to start the second half of the Super Bowl, we all thought, all right, they reverted back. It's done. It's over. And like a phoenix rising from the ashes, they found a way. Why do we ever doubt the Chiefs? Why do we ever doubt Mahomes and Andy Reid? Why did we doubt Brett Veach's game plan? Like, I get, we can criticize things. We're not going to sit here and say everything that this entire organization and team has done has been uh, the best possible thing. But when you raise and hoist three Lombardis in five years, you're doing something right. You're doing way more right than wrong. And I found it fascinating because I posted this question on Twitter the other day. I said, after the Super Bowl... Brett Veach is clearly the best GM in football, correct? And while I think 85% of folks said yes, there was a loud 15 or so percent of people who said, well, what about CEH? What about not drafting T? What about not drafting DK Metcalf and instead drafting McCole? What, what about the contract to Jawan? What about, and I'm sitting here going, that's great and all, but on the big decisions, the tough decisions, the, one, the ones that separate a um, AFC appearance, appearance from a Super Bowl championship, he made. The trading of Tyreek, the stones it took to understand that if they lost in the AFC championship game, even if they lost in the Super Bowl in two straight years since they traded him, if that would have happened, <laughs> he'd have been ran out of town. Seriously, I mean, because everyone would be sitting back going, what about Tyreek? What would he have done to this this organization, to this team right now? Right. They would be like, what what was he thinking, trading away one of the most explosive weapons in NFL history? But what he did was he trusted the plan. He understood that Mahomes can elevate his receivers. He cannot elevate the defense. He cannot elevate the offensive line. Well, he does elevate the offensive line, but not to the extent that we saw in the Tampa Bay Super Bowl. He trusted the plan, and it worked. Now, don't get me wrong. 
Do I think that he had visions of the wide receiver room looking the way it did up into the playoffs? Hell no. But at the same time, he stuck with it. At the same time, if you want to say he didn't stick with it, he brought back McCall Hardman. And who was the main benefactor in the Super Bowl? McCall Hardman. Corndog. 52-yard reception. McCall Hardman had more receiving yards than Brandon Ayuk and uh, George Kittle combined. I mean, let's be real. Kittle was a throw, and those four yards are really going to make my my case look good no matter what. But I sit back, and I, I think, why? Why did we ever doubt him? Doesn't he earn? And, and even Andy Reid, for all the short-yarded shenanigans that we complain about, when the game was on the line in the fourth quarter in overtime... Short yardage plays look pretty darn good. He did save the best for last. Yeah, it's like he opened up the bag for the crunch time. It's like we complain so much, and myself included, about short yardage situations. I remember going back to the preseason. I think it was against the Saints. And I go, well, I guess the short yardage situations haven't changed. And then you get to the playoffs, and you get to the Super Bowl, and you go, oh, yeah, okay, here's the reason. They don't care about the preseason. They do care about the regular season, but they're not going to give away their best plays on games that don't make or break a season. I find it fascinating when you look back for all the doubt, for all the slander, for all the hate at times that the team received. Shouldn't we have known better? Because I feel like we should have known better. I think now as we head into the 2024 uh, NFL season, I'm not saying be blinded. I'm not saying he cannot do wrong. But I'm saying at some point we have to trust the plan because it has clearly worked. Again, do I like the Juwan Taylor signing for the contract? Hell no. Did I like the Clyde draft pick? Hell no. But at some point, the sunk cost, and at some point, those Lombardis are still there. At some point, I don't care how you get there. Could it have looked better? Maybe. But at the end of the day, you don't, you don't get style points for how you win a Super Bowl. There's no... When you look in the history books, it is like, well, that team looked more fun. So they get, they get the extra nod. Yeah. No. Miami has a great-looking offense, right? And, and they went home, second the weather changed. Yep. So I sit back... And I go, you know what? I am going to be more cautious on criticism at times. I'm going to be more cautious because this looks awfully New England. Take a step back and think of the 10-year stretch that every single season had in New England where local media, national media, everyone was saying, they're done. Tom's done. That team's atrocious. Can't get out of their own way. Dynasty's over. And then the playoffs would roll around, and what would happen? Oh, same thing. Chiefs are now in that boat. Chiefs are now in the boat of, they're a bona fide dynasty. I mean, there's no denying. They are a dynasty. 
and they're in the same boat now. Again, not saying the regular season doesn't matter. But you don't win a Lombardi in the regular season. As long as this Chiefs team gets to the playoffs, home, road. Going against the one seed, going against the six seed, seven seed. It does not matter. They have proven now, time and time again, they will find ways to get it done. Whether the offensive line is two scoops of ass in the regular season, come playoff time, they are nails. Whether in the regular season it looks like the receivers have cinder blocks taped to their hands, come playoff time, looks like those bad boys are covered in stickum. I'm learning now. <laughs> learning to trust should be the name of the offseason. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll be joined by Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest Homestretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the Home Stretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Really quickly, uh, Caitlin Clark of Iowa just broke the women's NCAA record with a... You think Steph Curry shoots the ball deep? There was 26 seconds on the shot clock. From the logo, just pulls. If you remember Jimmer Fredette at BYU, soup up Jimmer Fredette, and that's Caitlin Clark. So entertaining to watch. So congratulations to Caitlin for breaking the NCAA record, scoring record, that is. Uh, joined now by Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Matt Derrick, as well as go to ChiefsDigest.com. Matt, how are you? I am doing well, Sterling. How are you tonight? I'm good. Can you uh, please tell me that everything's going to be uh, okay and every single Chiefs player is returning next year? Um, I mean, I can't tell you that. I mean, but Please. I think every, but everything's going to be okay, Sterling. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. I know Kelsey said that he wants, uh, he was talking to Scott Van Pelt, and he said he wants everyone to return next year. I'm like, yeah, yeah let's just do that. That seems way better. Uh, this run it back seems more apt. When I look at this current Chiefs roster, there's not really a position where I'm like, you know what? We, Chiefs could get younger here. Chiefs could could improve a ton here. Yeah, maybe they could at wide receiver, but that's about it. You go up and down this team, I'm like, no, they're pretty darn young and pretty darn stacked. I want to start with Legereus Sneed here. You heard what he said on Kay Adams talking about if he had a, a message for, for Brett Veach, and he said, pay me, pay me. We know Legereus is getting paid. Do you think it's going to be by KC? Ah, see, that's one of those things I can't tell you for sure, Sterling. I mean, nobody knows. Um, I think it's a a toss-up. I mean, there are so many factors. I mean, we could spend an hour breaking down all the factors about whether it's going to be Legereus Need or Chris Jones or both or neither. I mean, it's going to be crazy. Do you think the main factor is if the Mahomes contract gets... Um, they 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 move it into a uh, uh, the bonus right, so they can restructure his contract. That opens up. I think I was talking to Matt Verner about this. It would all of a sudden make the Kansas City Chiefs have the second most cap space in the NFL behind Washington if that were to were to actually happen. I mean, is it possible? Yes. I mean, it's it's actually doable. I mean, there's a scenario where it could happen, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it's not a decision that can be made in isolation. You know, it's not as though 
these guys are the only two free agents that you've got. Yeah. You know, you've, and you've got a lot of things that you want to get done. And kicking the can down the curb on the homes just means that you've got a little bit less room down the road to work with. And that's going to be a problem because down the road you've got even more guys that you want to sign. And on top of that, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, how much of, of, of Clark Hunt's money is he willing to spend at sure. one time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, that's the one thing that I think that is the hardest to kind of grasp at everything is the, the concept of, you know, and you hear the phrase every once in a while, cap and cash. You know, and some teams are willing to spend willy-nilly. I mean, I think that the, the what, the Eagles last year versus like a $208 million cap maybe spent like $275 million. I mean, a team could see, conceivably spend $300 million, even though the cap is $90 million less. Well, that doesn't mean that Clark Hunt's going to do that. So that's a consideration. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to it. And that's why it's going to make it complicated. But, you know, one thing that Clark Hunt is going to have to decide, and this is for him to decide, not for Brett Veach, it's going to be how much money are you willing to put into 3 p And if the answer for Clark Hunt comes back and says, money's no object, go 3 peat, then you can get a lot of stuff done. But it might put you in some... Cap difficulty down the road. When it comes to Brett Veach's game plan, I, I was laughing because my thought process on Veach was: you can make uh, Mahomes can make a, 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 the receivers better. Mahomes cannot make the defense better. So the thought process over the past couple of seasons is invest and invest heavily on the defensive side of the ball. Well, then during the regular season, uh, we all thought that in theory that's a great plan until every single wide receiver struggles and struggles mightily. Eventually, Rasheed Rice stepped up, but then you actually did see McCole Hardman in the Super Bowl come up with three for fifty-seven, in Q, in, including the game-winning touchdown as well as a fifty-two-yard bomb. You did see Justin Watson with three receptions for 54 yards. You did see MVS come up with a touchdown, a great play in this game. So I'm sitting here and looking back going, Brett Veach's game plan actually did work. It maybe just didn't actually work until the playoffs came around. Yeah, and you know, and that probably brings us back to the question of going back at the very beginning of the season as far as the decision that the Chiefs made about how many wide receivers they were going to keep. You know, did that play a factor into how all of this happened? Because wasn't it a matter of, you know, you're trying to get six, seven, eight receivers in the rotation. Uh, is that just too many to, to try and keep fresh to make sure that they're all playing their best? You had injuries. So, you know, obviously Kadarius Tony was most notable because he comes back in week one after six weeks off. Did they push him too hard, too fast to, to get him back out there and put him out rusty? I mean, I could absolutely make that case. You know, the, the the number of receivers that they've got, you know, both on the roster and the practice squad, injured reserve, you name it. I mean, did that take bandwidth that really kept those guys from being as sharp and fresh as they needed to be and playing their best? I don't know. But I look at it and I see, wait a minute, you know, what's the likelihood that Marquez Valdez-Scantling would just fall off a cliff the way that he did? What's the likelihood that Sky Moore would just not improve at all his numbers, even though the eye test would tell you that he certainly looks like a better receiver than a year ago. Um, you could go on down the line. I mean, it's, how, what's the odds of all of these guys, except for she Rice, having a slump in the same year? 
I mean, maybe it's just that case. I mean, maybe he rolled the dice and, and, and did it differently. This Maybe the team puts up, you know, 5,500 yards passing and they break all the records. And, you know, and, and Marquez has 700 yards again. And Sky Moore bust out with, you know, a 600-yard season. I, 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 I can't explain what happened this year, Sterling. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. <laughs> It, what's funny is it was the most bizarre thing we've ever seen. Everything that could go wrong seemingly did, and yet there the Chiefs are hoisting yet another Lombardi going back-to-back in three and five years. I want to talk about Sky more with you for a second here. Where where are you on him for the future? Because I sit here and I, I still find myself having... Um, making a case that Sky Moore makes sense on this Chiefs team moving forward. Obviously, he's on a rookie contract. I am not saying Sky Moore is a guy that you trust to go out there and bring you 800 yards and, and eight touchdowns. But what I am thinking here is Rasheed Rice started out this season playing a lot of slot, right? He was great in the slot, and that moved Sky Moore to the outside. Sky Moore is not an outside wide receiver. He is not an X. That is not his game, and he struggled mightily. But I wonder if, if Rasheed Rice starts moving more to the outside. Would that allow Sky Moore to move back to the slot, and would he find himself getting more opportunities in a spot where he is more comfortable? If that's the case, I really can make a case, I feel like, and again, maybe I'm too optimistic, but finding myself making a case that Sky Moore could be a valuable or at least a useful piece for the Chiefs next season. I mean, again, I come back to you know the two schools of thought. You know, there's there's one school that will say, you know what, there's a lot of strikes against Sky Moore because he's a he's a little undersized. Uh, he's got good speed, but maybe not the greatest speed in the world. Uh, he, maybe he's faster than he is quick. I mean, one of those guys. You, you could debate that. I mean, the numbers and the metrics would say that Sky Moore is probably a boomer bust kind of candidate. I mean, he could either be a really good receiver or just not. They kind of turn into what he has been. And then there's the matter of you are kind of what the back of your football card is. And I don't know what the football equivalent is of Dayton Moore's, what, 800 major league at-bats to find out what kind of hitter you are. Uh, But we're probably getting close to that as far as the number of snaps or catches or whatever it is that you need targets to find out what kind of receiver that Sky Moore is. So you got all this evidence that would suggest to you that, hey, you know what, maybe it's not going to work. But then, you know, there's the eye test. I mean, he does look more comfortable. He's had a good attitude. I mean, the, the, he's clearly popular in the like locker room. It's not like there's red flags of any sort with Sky Moore. And and the, this team believes in him. And they think that he's got the talent to succeed in this league. So there's a lot of other factors that would say, hey, you know what, give Sky another chance. And obviously he is cheap and affordable, which is the other part of it. But yeah. the other the, the thing that's going to be the challenge for me is, you know, it's what is Sky more? I mean, if Sky is one of your top three receivers, then, you know, it doesn't really matter what else he gives you. But if Sky is going to be your fourth or fifth or sixth receiver, then – he needs to be playing special teams. He needs to be returning kicks. I mean, something of that nature. And, you know, and once again, that's where his size probably comes into a factor. And, you know, and obviously he's had the, the yips a little bit in the return game in the past. So, you know, what's your comfort level putting him out there? I mean, I'm, I'm convinced that the Chiefs are going to give Sky Moore another shot. I'm, I'm kind of convinced they're going to give Kadarius Tony another shot, too, because wow. the same thing is true with both of them. Um, they're cheap, they're under team control. With Kadarius, he's got a guaranteed contract, so you know you're going to pay him regardless. And I don't think anybody's going to take him off your hands. And I, I don't think that necessarily anybody would do that with Sky either. I think maybe, but 
I don't see the Chiefs walking away, you know, sending Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony away for like a conditional seventh or anything. No. Uh, Matt Derrick is our guest. Sticking with the wide receivers, why do you think they were able to step up in, in the biggest moments while during the regular season it was a struggle? Because you saw throughout the playoffs, MVS, it looks like he has stickum all over his hands all of a, all of a sudden. He, he's bringing out everything. You, you look at McCole Hardman. You know he he couldn't catch a deep ball all season long. Then all of a sudden, in the biggest stage, biggest game, what's he do? He makes it look easy. He finally tracks one. Why do you think? Was it just confidence all season long? Like I, I feel like we've been hoodwinked, Matt. Like I feel like the entire time we've been hoodwinked. We've been bamboozled. I don't understand this. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's really hard to explain, and I can't explain it for certain. I mean, I can I can take some guesses, but I don't even know if that's right. Um, I I try to divide it up into kind of maybe subjective and objective categories. And okay, let's be objective for a moment. Okay, well, the Chiefs certainly made a conscious effort to dumb things down a little bit or make things more simple, you know, and and just. Do some things that were the kind of bread and butter stuff, things that had succeeded in the past, things that worked, uh, maybe some, some concepts that were easily, easier to pick up and to implement. Um, and obviously by the time you got to the end of the season, I mean, uh, you were also getting to the point where Andy Reid was, is getting ready to call stuff he's been setting up all year. I mean, Andy Reid will, and, and there were certainly absolutely some things that they did in this, this postseason that they ran some of these plays, you know, six, seven, eight times. But when they showed the exact same look to the defense in the postseason, they did something they didn't do all year before. You know, that's part of the genius of Andy Reid is just, you know, to give defenses and confuse them as much as you can. And I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, Andy, as much as – and I'm certainly one of these that have given a huge amount of credit to Patrick Mahomes for his performance in the postseason and his decision-making. But same thing, you've got to give it to Andy Reid for the game plans because – they were absolutely spot on in the postseason, and especially I think the Super Bowl in the second half for sure. Yeah. Um, so you know that that to me is maybe subjective. It was easier stuff to you know to run. I mean, it was they, you know, there there was uh, you know even some simplification as far as the throws go. I mean, it was Mahomes was just getting rid of the football. Um, there's maybe some objective things that you can think about, and you know, one of them was hey, Mahomes was probably making it easier for them. You know, there wasn't as maybe as many bullet throws that they've got to make some fantastic catches on. <laughs> maybe he was taking a little bit of mustard off the ball. I don't think there's any doubt he was throwing a better football in the postseason than maybe he did during the regular season. Um, certainly on that deep ball to the McCall Hartman, there was no adjustment required. He basically just dropped the ball in on a string right into his hand. Um, do, do, you, do you see the cornerback, the the underneath? Uh, secondary member who basically just gave up. He's like, oh yeah, no way the ball's coming over here. No way Mahomes can throw it that far. And all of a sudden he's like, oh bleep, that's over my head. <laughs> yeah. that Just when you think that Patrick Mahomes can't throw a 54-yard dime down the field and hit the exact blade of grass he's aiming for, he does it. Um, and probably helped that we're playing in the dome, too. So yeah. you know, there was no, no weather, no wind, nothing of that nature to mess him up. And We know Patrick Mahomes in a dome can absolutely put the ball wherever he wants to. Um, but, you know, and then there's the, the love him up factor. I mean, you know, Andy Reach and, and Patrick tried to build confidence in this group all season long. Maybe it finally kicked in. Obviously, the we've talked about the wake-up call of Christmas Day. Maybe that was, you know, what this receiver group needed to flip the switch and clean out some of the, the cobwebs in their head that was maybe leading to some of the mental issues. 
I don't know, but I know in I know in the Super Bowl it looked like a completely different group, and and I know that Patrick Mahomes can elevate receivers. Even even if you don't think it looked like it this year, look at any receiver who's played with Patrick Mahomes and their numbers not with Patrick Mahomes. Almost all of them are better with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> it's like secondary members with Dave Merritt. Like, like, look, look what they do here in Kansas City, and then look what they do elsewhere. I, I will say, Trevarius Ward's done a great job, but again, uh, before he got to Kansas City, then compared to here, it's uh, it's definitely night and day. Um, you wrote a, and we're talking about an article. You can go to ChiefsDigest.com. Andy Reid reiterates he's returning to Chiefs in 2024. Why do people keep asking? Why do people keep asking, Matt? Uh, as I, as I wrote about, there's a lot of reasons, you know, and, and, and Andy Reid's responsible for some of them because, you know, last year he made a, made a, a joke that Jay Glazer didn't get and that led to some problems. Um, he hasn't always been clear, you know, sometimes when he's asked about if he's going to retire, he'll, he'll make jokes or he'll tell a, a folksy story and everything that you're just kind of left, you know, trying to interpret yourself and parse it out and figure out what he's talking about. <laughs> so there's some of that going on. And, you know, and, and as Andy said, you know, now that he's the oldest coach in the league and the longest, one of the longest with their current team, and, and no one in the coaches co- league has been coaching a head coach longer than he has now, uh, I mean, he's going to get those questions. So there's a little bit of it. But the fact that he finally just said, yeah, I'm going to be back next year, I think was pretty important just because even though I thought it was pretty clear, you know, a few weeks ago when he gave one of his folks the answers and said, hey, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I, I thought it was pretty clear, and I thought people would be able to read through the lines of saying, hey, you know what, you don't retire at 65 when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, yeah. and you're Andy Reid, and you love football the way that you do. There's no way this guy's done. <laughs> so, yeah, and then, there, and, then, and then throw in Sterling. You just have to have a, you know, one or two people with um, uh, poor, let's how I say, motivations. Yeah, um, that that stir the pot. Yeah, and that certainly is what happened. Uh, you know, uh, during the Super Bowl. All right, this might stir the pot, but I have a lot of faith in FAU, and no, it's not just from that one play. <laughs> <laughs> I I kept telling folks, don't judge FAU and call him a bust. I I had so many folks in my mentions after I said. I think this solidifies Brett Veach as the best GM in football. And I had, I don't know, uh, a dozen, a dozen folks tweet at me and say, but what about the drafting of FAU? He did it because he was a local kid. And I just sit back and go, how asinine of a thought process is that? Now, the alleged thought is they tried moving up, they tried moving down, takes two to tango. It's not like FAU was this third or fourth round potential draft pick that all of a sudden, oh, look at him, now he's drafted 31st overall. No, he was always in that kind of gray area. He's 21, he just turned 22, about what? 30 days ago, 20 days ago, and he's raw. And the Chiefs did not need him his rookie season because they've done a great job developing and adding talent along the defensive line. And then, of course, the one time he gets a chance to shine, he does it in a Super Bowl, makes a massive play. And again, I get it. It's just one play. But to me, it was a little bit of a, ha, I told you so. Yeah, you might, and you might have to fact check me on this, Sterling, because I, I may be exaggerating for hyperbolic effects, and maybe I'm right, I don't know. But uh, also factor into this that, like, three and a half years ago, um, Felix was, like, 5'11 and 185 pounds. Um, he's a late bloomer. 
I mean, he's he's he he kind of grew up in a big time way at, at, at K State. I mean, he absolutely completely and changed physically. And he talked about it during when he got drafted about you know how much he was working out you know during during COVID and the pandemic and that added on all this muscle and everything. He is still a thin guy by that position and a light light weight by that position, even if he's got kind of maybe the the frame and the height for it. Um, he still needs to kind of bulk up and put on the pounds a little bit. I mean, like you said, I mean he's been he was this is his age twenty one season I and mean, he's ridiculously young. And then, oh, by the way, I mean, the Chiefs had Charles Aminahue, George Karloftis, Mike Dana. Uh, they had Chris Jones kicking out inside. I mean, at his at best, you know, Felix was your fifth edge rusher. Um, maybe you're sixth. I mean, if you're saying that, you know, you feel like, that, hey, Malik Herring's been around longer, he's bigger size, more flexible, knows the playbook, all these things. Yeah, I mean, to me, Felix, Felix came in with one rule this year. It was going to be as a... Uh, a situational pass rusher to fill in while Charles O'Minnehue was out and and learn. And anything above and beyond that was gravy. And because the Chiefs didn't really have any injuries all season until Felix and the, the championship game, the championship game, they never needed him. So his job was just, just to learn, to soak it all up. And I think he's done that. So, yeah, I mean, the Chiefs never expected anything more than what they got from Felix this year. They wanted him to play. You know, decently when Charles and he was out the first game, six games of the season, and he did that. Um, the fact that they didn't, you know, force him in there later, honestly, has a lot more to do with the fact that they just didn't want to put him in a position that he wasn't, you know, you know, kind of big enough, mature enough, and ready for. And you know, usually we're criticizing this team for maybe pushing guys ahead too far. You know, and with Felix, they're they're just really trying to develop him slowly and appropriately, and you kind of get upset about that. But. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, to me, and especially you consider everything else. I mean, he had a broken hand, which the Chiefs knew about. And you've mentioned the draft position. I mean, yes, had, if the Chiefs could have found a dance partner, would they have traded up for a receiver? Probably. Uh, had, you know, if, if, for instance, they didn't take Felix where they did, I am 98% sure that if the Chiefs didn't take Felix, they would have taken Rasheed Rice there. I mean, mm. That was that was basically the two best players on their board that they had at that point, and they didn't think Felix would be around when they drafted next. They did think Rasheed Rice would, so that was kind of their calculation. But I, I don't I don't think that they went off their board. I don't think they drafted him because he was a local kid. It was a great story. Yeah, but that's not. That, I mean, Brett Feach doesn't draft great stories. I mean, Brett Feach drafts football players. You, you don't win three Lombardies in five years by good stories. You get it by good to actually, quite frankly, great football players. Matt Derrick is our guest. What is it with Mike Pinnell playing the 49ers in Super Bowls? What is it with Mike Pinnell? I I, I mean, what more can you say? This was such a, again, a good story, but also a good player dominating Trent Williams at times in this game. I mean, Mike Pinnell, what more can you say about a guy who was sitting on his couch a couple weeks ago, hops into a Super Bowl, and plays phenomenally? I mean, it was more than a couple of weeks, but your point's well taken there, Sterling. Um, no, I mean, and, 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 well, I mean, once again, we talked about how you know Chris Jones this year kind of completely and totally devalued the concept of training camp. Um, Mike Pinnell kind of completely and totally devalued the meaning of everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, granted, I mean, he had a strategy this year. I mean, he's sitting there saying, "Hey, I'm 33 years old. I am too old to go through training camp an entire season." 
But he's like, I'm I'm frisky enough and, and got enough juice left in me to come in, you know, midway through the season and join somebody and pick my spot. And he's like, because I talked to him, you know, when he first got back to Kansas City and, he, and just asked him, you know, what was the thought process? And he's like, yeah, I mean, he's like, I didn't knew I couldn't, you know, play the entire season, but hey, sitting back and waiting for a team that needed me. And he's like, this let me kind of pick my situation. He's like, I knew that there's going to be injuries. I knew there's going to be playoff teams that needs help. It's like I was hoping all along it'd be Kansas City that called, but that was his plan. Was just to hey sit back and wait for the best opportunity that comes along where he can play for a you know a, a playoff team and hopefully win a championship. His strategy worked perfectly. <laughs> well, uh, he's fresh. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I mean the way that Mike Pinnell's racking up rings now and everything, like coming in midseason, I, I would I would sign him in March and just say, Mike, we're not we don't need to see you till October. You just. <laughs> We're, we've, we've got you. As a matter of fact, you know, how's the ankle? The ankle, ankle feels a little rough and everything. Okay, we're going to start the season on IR. So we'll just leave you there. You know, you rehab, you rehab that quote unquote on your own and we'll, we'll, we'll see you in October. <laughs> Leo Chanel is another name that I want to talk about because it feels yeah. like he's a, um, a blooming superstar. I mean, the Chiefs obviously have a great linebacker core already. Willie Gay Jr. has done a very nice job here. He's a free agent. That remains to be seen. If you look at his Twitter account, which I assume now is actually his real Twitter account. I can never tell. Um, you know, Drew Tranquil is a free agent. Nick Bolton, obviously, another year left on his contract. But Leo has really come all, come along into his own. Extremely athletic. Phenomenal stop in the run. Uh, he just bullied George Kittle the entire game. What have you seen from Leo, and what should we expect from him going in uh, going into next season? I'm going to give Leo Chanel what I think is has to be one of the best compliments that I can give a linebacker. In that he feels like to me a guy who's on the wrong team because he should be a Pittsburgh Steeler. I mean, he's just got that kind of approach. I mean, he's just this, you know, strong and nasty kid um, that can go after the quarterback. He can cover. I mean, he can do a little bit of everything. And he's just ridiculously strong. I mean, I just feel like, you know, I mean, this is the kind of guy that, that feels like that the, the Steelers just crank out every single year. Yeah. Um, but there's no doubt. I mean, Leo really, really developed a lot this year. And so much of it's on him because – of just how hard he has worked. Um, you know, I wrote about earlier this year about how last year as a rookie, he was spending time in the, the D-line room. And he's hanging out with Joe Cullen, and he's hanging out with the edge rushers, trying to, to, to find out how to play more on ball and on the line of scrimmage and everything, um, and how to go after the passer. And, you know, and obviously that, that improved it. This year, the Chiefs were willing to let him kind of play in that overhang position outside and let him blitz and do all these things. I mean, I... And, I, I mean, I want to see more of it. I mean, I think Leo Chanel can absolutely be a, a stand-up edge rusher on the outside. Not every down. That's not what he needs to be. But, you know, and we've seen it. I mean, the Chiefs have not been afraid to put him in that spot. That's why, you know, the Chiefs can afford to do some crazy looks sometimes, like they're, you know, one five five looks. That was wild. That was the play you're talking about, right, when Trip McDuffie knocked the ball down, correct? I believe so. Yeah, I, I was looking at that, and I'm sitting lineman on the field. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, what is going on? This is absurd. What am I witnessing? And then all of a sudden, I go, Oh yeah, it's Spags, baby, meatballs. Yeah, uh, he. I mean, he's. I mean, and I didn't. I should have been more specific. If I had been more specific, I would have been freaking Nostradamus, uh, <laughs> Sterling. But 
I mean, I, I, I said, hey, Steve Spagnuolo was going to show some Brock Purdy some things that he has never seen before in his entire life. And I can guarantee you that that look right there. I mean, I I I'm trying to remember the the Forty Nineers they didn't have any timeouts left, right? Because I mean, you that, would have called one there. I'd have to imagine. Yeah, I mean, that, if you can't, if you're looking at that and you just and you don't have and you have and you have a timeout left, you've got to call it there because there's no way you can think to yourself this makes any sense whatsoever. I mean, you've got to figure that there's. There's a there's a there's a pressure coming in your direction that you can't see. <laughs> well, well, well. Just sticking with this very quickly because that certain play call and scheme, Andy Reid trusted Spagnolo to call right. But on the other side of things, there was a very important down, and Steve Wilkes had a very, in his mind, more of a unique uh, defensive scheme at that time. And what happened? Shanahan called a timeout. What happened? The Chiefs ended up picking up the first down. So you look and you go, there is a head coach who trusts the uniqueness of of what Spagnolo brings. And on the other side, Shanahan clearly was not on the same page with Steve Wilkes. I found I found that to be a little intriguing. Again, on two of the more important plays of the game, one DC gets his play call, it works. The other one, not allowed to use his timeout taken and um I find that that confidence level fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, there's no doubt. Kyle Shanahan's going to be a good coach. He's a he's a good coach now. He might be a great coach, but there's there's two things that he needs. I mean, one is obviously he needs more experience. He needs to learn a few lessons and takes take his lumps. And there's a few more things that he just needs to you know learn about the details that requires to be a head coach. And, of course, the other thing is he needs his quarterback. And I don't know, maybe Brock Purdy is that. I mean, but we knew that, and, and this has always been my hot take, and I probably told you this before, Sterling. I mean, I think that Donovan McNabb was a very run-of-the-mill quarterback that Andy Reid got a hold of and made really, really good. Hmm. Alex Smith is kind of a run-of-the-mill quarterback that Andy Reid made really, really good. Patrick Mahomes, I think, is a really, really good quarterback. And Andy Reid's going to make him a Hall of Famer, maybe maybe the GOAT. I mean, that's what he does. I mean, he just elevates quarterbacks. Um, and, I I mean, there's no doubt to me. I mean, Donovan McNabb and Alex Smith were nice quarterbacks. They were not Andy Reid's quarterback. I mean, he got more out of them than I think anybody else possibly could. And that's remarkable. I mean, and Kyle Shanahan, maybe he's doing that. Maybe he got more out of Jimmy Garoppolo than anybody else would. Maybe he got more out of, is getting more out of Brock Purdy. And maybe he got everything that he could out of Lance and Trey Lance and everything. Uh, you know, but it, it, if he ever, if he ever finds his, his quarterback and he finds his Mahomes and he gets the details down, I mean, yeah, I mean, the 49ers, I think, could do exactly what the Chiefs are doing right now. Yeah, uh, it is interesting because I think Shanahan is on a very similar path currently as Andy Reid, right? Um, a lot of success from the regular season, known as an offensive genius, an innovator, and yet you get to the big game and all of a sudden you can't get over the hump. But again, as you mentioned, you never have that elite quarterback. I wonder if it's going to take Shanahan going to his next stop for him to find all that success. That remains to be seen. Before I let you go, what did this Super Bowl win 
mean to you, right? This one, obviously, is the start of a dynasty. I, I To me, this Super Bowl win means more about the depth of what Brett Veach was able to do, the uniqueness of how they were able to get this one done, the ability to never give up. But as far as in your mind, in your words, what does this win in the Super Bowl mean for you? Hi, good question. I hadn't really thought about it in that framing, but I will say I think that the one thing that I, 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 I definitely learned from this and I think we we suspected it. We just didn't have any evidence of it yet. But now we know for sure is that Patrick Mahomes can win Super Bowls without the best team. I mean, he had the best defense this year through most of the season. I mean, and obviously they were a top three defense, so that was great. But offensively, they weren't all that in the bag of chips. I mean, even in the postseason, they weren't. Perfect. They weren't. They weren't just running up and down the field on people. It wasn't like they were putting forty points up a game. They were just extremely efficient, and he was just making throws and decisions that I just don't think other quarterbacks can make in those comparable positions. But it just goes to me that, that I mean, the Chiefs don't have to have the best team to win that championships. As long as I mean, it's it's the Marty Schottenheimer philosophy, you know, working to a T, which is that you get in the tournament and you, you never know what's going to happen. Well, you know what's going to happen with Mahomes is that he's going to win a bunch of football games. <laughs> it's crazy, man. <laughs> Matt, it, it's literally insane. Like, we all thought this season was over on Christmas, and yet... Add to the trophy case yet another Lombardi. Uh, a little more fun to, to cover and to watch the Chiefs now than about 10 years ago, huh? Uh, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, and I'm, I mean, Sterling, I am the most spoiled of anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm more spoiled than you because my first year on the beat was 2016. So I've wow. done nothing but cover a team that's won the AFC West every single year. You are I mean, good luck is what this is, Matt. You are you were never allowed to retire. Well, that's I mean, I feel like that's great job security because I feel like <laughs> if I, you know, went to the Chiefs and told them I was thinking about retiring, maybe they'll start, you know, find some advertising or something on Chiefs Digest. <laughs> well, they should. You should go to ChiefsDigest.com, everyone listening, as well as follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Derrick. I will say, Matt, I'm in the same boat here, okay? Hear me out. I have grown out a playoff mustache the last two years in honor of Kansas City. What's happened the last two years? There you go. I'm just saying, if they want to sponsor my mustache, they also are allowed to do that. I don't know how you sponsor a stash, but I will I will find a way. <laughs> I mean, you between you and Kelsey, I mean, you've definitely got the body hair covered and the face hair covered, facial hair covered for, for good luck. Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. Matt, always a pleasure. It is absolutely a pleasure, Sterling. And I I hope everybody is, you know, hopefully we gave everybody just a little respite from the last couple of days and had some fun because that's, I think we need to do that. Yeah, it's just a horrible situation and trying to bring some normalcy to a non-normal situation, at least the best way that I think we can. We will take a break. Come back. Homestretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. Papa was a couple of 
Welcome back to the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. Thank you again to Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. We'll be joined by David Lesky in just a few moments. Uh, again, cool moment in basketball. Caitlin Clark sets the scoring record in women's college of basketball with that logo three. Um, again, she shot it from the logo with 26 seconds left on the shot clock. Uh, at that moment, she needed eight points to break the record. Um, she was three of three in two minutes and 15 seconds with eight points. Uh, it is halftime now of that game. Iowa has 53 points at halftime. <laughs> She's got 28. <laughs> 10 of 16 from the field. Six of nine from three. Eight assists. Yeah, she needed eight to break the record. First quarter, she put out 23 points. If you have not seen her play basketball, it is, again, it reminds me of Jimmer Fredette at BYU. It reminds you of Steph Curry at Davidson. reminds you a little bit of Adam Morrison, right? But why are you laughing about Adam Morrison? You, <laughs> that is a great pull. I hadn't heard that name. Yeah, Adam Morrison. He, he, had a little, he had a dirty little stash. That thing was not a full stash. That was like... What I had when I was 16, you know, and you're getting ready to go to your first dance and you're just awkward. Like, you can't grow facial hair, but it's not enough to shave. That was the Adam Morrison stash. But yeah, man, it's fun to watch. So good for her. That's amazing. Setting the scoring record in women's college basketball. Uh, Rob Manfred is set to retire as MLB commissioner in 2029. Um, Yay. You think all you would be great if all the teams came together to give him a hunk of metal? Yeah, <laughs> just like a broken refrigerator. That just here you go. Here's your hunk of metal. Yeah, here's this rock from a, from a beach I went to. Rob, here you go. Now I'll give credit where credit's due. I think the pitch clock has, for the most part, been solid. I think some of the rule changes have been uh, fine. Right. I just will never get over what happened in regards to the. Houston World Series. And again, I, I'm not trying to throw stones in a glass house. I am someone who understands that every team tries to get an advantage and cheat to some extent. I'm not trying to clutch pearls. I, I just think how it was handled in the aftermath was a little unfair, undue, unjust. And that's where I land on the situation. I also think some of the holdout issues could have been handled better. And that happened under his tenure. Um, again, end of the day... Uh, you'll look back probably on his time as commissioner with uh, some positives, some negatives. But again, if the pitch clock and if the game continues to grow, I, I think some of those hunk of metal comments will ev- eventually start being footnotes instead of the main thing you think about when you think of Rob Manfred. Also, who announces their retirement five years early? <laughs> Bold, dude. <laughs> Twenty bold. Yeah, January of twenty nine. I'm out. Well, it's his final uh, term. Right, it's right. his final term. But yeah, I was like, that's that's bold. Congrats. At least he got time to plan his retirement. The retirement party will will catch no one by surprise. If no one brings the um, what are those little little cakes, ice cream cakes, fudgy the whale, cookie puss. If no one brings those. Uh, Carvel, come on. Don't bring him Carvel. They've had years now to plan for 2029. Yeah, that's yeah. on them. His coworkers have no excuse. They would hate him. If, that's, <laughs> if, if they don't have a, a retirement party planned for him by in five years, 
I don't really tell you what people thought about him. Uh, before we're going to break and bring on David Lesky, uh, Tiger returns uh, dealing with back uh, spasms but shoots a 72 at the Genesis Invitational. I will also point out that uh, he had a shank that looked like me. He had a nice little hosel rocket, which makes you think, hey, even the greatest golfer in the world, at least all-time greatest golfer, um, just like us. One of us. One of us. The issue is he probably parred from that spot while I would have continued to hosel rocket that all around the golf course. Yeah. We'll take a break. Come back. Be joined by David Lesky from Inside the Crown Homestretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back into the home stretch. Sterling Holmes joined now by David Lesky from Inside the Crown. Make sure you go to insidethecrown.substack.com for the best Royals coverage out there. Lesky, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm sick. I can't talk. I'm uh, I'm I'm very congested. Uh, which well, you know, which hopefully is not like you know the parking situation at the new Royals uh, ballpark. Uh, let's get into the Royals ballpark right now. I, you know what? We can't. We got to talk about that that segue, that that very quick segue. No, <laughs> you hated it. Um, you hated I, it. I I didn't love it, um, but I also loved it. So you know. Well, I mean, come on now. I'm congested. Won't Royals parking be congested downtown? That's what I'm seeing on the X right now. Tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> on the X. Okay. Thanks, Grandpa. Let's get into it. <laughs> why am I wrong? Why, why is the Royal Stadium going to have good parking? Why, where is it going to go? What are the updates so far? What needs to happen for it to, to pass? Yeah, well, I mean, to pass, it's going to pass. Like that, <laughs> we, we can start there. I, I think, um, I mean, the vote, getting on the ballot, in my opinion, maybe I'm going to be wrong here, is, was the hardest part because they are associated with the Chiefs who just won the Super Bowl for the second straight year. And I think that people really underestimated um, the support for the Chiefs and, and basically doing whatever they want. If the Chiefs say jump, people don't just say how high, they say how many times. And so I, I think it was going to pass regardless. But then the Royals also went out and they spent $100 million in bringing in free agents. They, they, they've overturned roughly 30% of their big league roster through – free agency and one trade. They've made other trades, but Nicky Anderson's the only one who will probably be on the big league roster, assuming health. So, um, they did that. And then they went out and said, they sent Bobby Witt, which we'll get to, but, um, it's going to pass. So that, that's not the issue. You want to talk about the parking? Yeah. I mean, look, it's not going to be the Truman sports complex. It just isn't because it's, it's not a, a, a just a, Fifteen acres of concrete, or whatever it is out there, that you can draw lines on, and then put stadiums in the middle of it all. So, yes, it will be different. Um, I, I, I tend to—I don't know about disagree, but I, I'd probably argue against the point of well, there's forty thousand spots within a ten-minute walk versus twenty-six thousand at the Truman Sports Complex. The fact is, the figure is probably true. I don't know. I haven't counted them personally um but the reality is there's 40,000 spots sure but there's other stuff down there so <laughs> it's yeah. not like there's 40,000 open spots on any given night and so there, there, there's gonna be some a learning curve for Kansas City to how uh, you know, how to deal with a downtown stadium but I mean if, if you have you been to a downtown stadium yes I've been so to a lot yeah yeah exactly it's 
people figured out. Um, in, in a lot of ways, you might even find much cheaper parking than you get at Kauffman Stadium right now. Because sure. and I remember I was in Seattle, oh gosh, 10 years ago, I think. I think it was 2014. Um, and we parked in a lot that was like a four-minute walk to, it was Safeco at the time, it's T-Mobile now. Um, and I think we paid $10, maybe 8 like it, it's cheaper than parking at the stadium. So, you know, I, I think that there is that there's there's going to be some ebbs and flows in, in, in figuring it out, but ultimately it'll get figured out. And it's only a thirty thirty four thirty five thousand seat stadium. I think they said. So was that surprising to you? Because that that seemed like no. it was a little low. No, that's the trend. Um, I. What surprised? Yeah, I think maybe a little bit low, but I, 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 I in my head thought it was going to be thirty six thousand seats. So, you know, at some point, what's the difference, right? It, it's close enough. It's within within a couple percentage points. So I, I, I'm not terribly surprised by that. But that that's intimate intimate gathering is the trend in baseball now. You look at some of the new stadiums that are going to get built, and they're they're going to be smaller. And don't look at Texas; that doesn't count. But um, yeah, so. It, We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I, I loved the design. I not necessarily the stadium itself, um, which I liked, but um, I loved you know the capping of the highway, the, the walkway between the stadium and T-Mobile Center. Um, I, I think that looked really good. I was also told by somebody, "Hey, don't don't look at this rendering as gospel. Like sure. there might be a crown, <laughs> the, yeah. the fountain." In center field, which I actually think is really cool, that little cascading fountain that they have in the in the rendering. I mean, that happened. Like, it, this is not the final product. So, um, you know, in that way, I I liked what they put out there. Um, and again, I think it's going to pass. I don't think it's going to be especially close either. I, I'm intrigued to see what it looks like because. It, it's obviously going to be where you can get to and from a lot of bars a lot quicker, going to be a lot more fun for people out of town. But I wonder what the season ticket numbers are going to look like being downtown, right? Like when, when you brought up, have you been to a downtown stadium? I've been to a lot, but always as an away fan. And when you go right. to a downtown stadium as an away fan, it's awesome. It's the best because you're already doing stuff downtown. You're having a couple of beers. Then you're going to the game. Then you're doing something after. Well, if you're a season ticket member, this is your night. You're right. going to the game for the sake of going to the game because you want to support the team. That's where I have the, uh, I don't want to say even a, a, an issue, my biggest concern of what that looks like. Um, how much added extra time does it take? What does it look like? Is it going to be a, a more of a party crowd versus a family atmosphere? That's what I'm looking at here. Um, before we move on and talk Bobby Witt Jr. and the team itself, what are the, the things you like the most about the proposed stadium and the things that you're like, you know what, I, I think this is my biggest concern here. I, I just like the, the general look and feel of of that, like I said, the cap over the highway, the walkway, just just what they're going to do to change that look. And, and, I mean, think about how different downtown is today than before Power and Light and Sprint Center, then now T-Mobile Center and all that opened up. It's a very different look, and it, it became modern and cool. And you may not go down there very often. Uh, I know you're down there partying every night, but normal people aren't down there every single night um, throwing it back. But um, 
you know, this ballpark down there just going to add to the experience. And I mean, going back to the the conversation about other downtown parks, they are really fun. Like yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an atmosphere. And even when they're not sold out, because I, I think back to, to that time in Seattle a decade ago, it was. I think I, I could look because right? I know when I went. But I, I would assume the attendance was I don't know half full maybe. But it was still it was an it was an experience and. I, I really like that. The thing that I'm, I'm just concerned about a little bit is, and this is this is from a season ticket perspective, from a going out there on a Tuesday night perspective, how much of a pain is it going to be in that spot because it is in the heart of downtown? You know, the East Village would have been a little bit less congested highway-wise. Um, how long is it going to take me to get there? And that is such a Kansas City problem. Yeah. And one that I'm not sitting here like, well, that's the reason I say no. That's not it. It's not. It's it's such a small thing, but I um, I'm just a little bit concerned about that. And and look, the re- the overarching reality is, the public shouldn't be paying for stadiums. I don't think. Um, my opinion that that's that's where I that's where I land. These guys have enough money to pay for their own stadiums. These guys have enough money to pay for all of that. It's not a John Sherman problem. It's not a Kansas City Royals problem. It's not even a Major League Baseball problem. It's a professional sports problem. And the public will be paying for this because, again, it's going to pass. I'm telling you, it's, it's going to pass. If I'm wrong, I, I don't know what I'll do because I don't want to promise something ridiculous, but it's going to pass. So um, I just don't, I don't love the idea that it's going to take a, a sales tax increase, but it, it, it's kind of one of those things that it is what it is. David Lesky is our guest right here, talking Bobby Witt Jr. now. 11 years, $288.8 million. Wow. This yeah. was awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, let's be real now, Lesky. I, I, I'm a little younger than you, but still, we, we, we grew up watching a lot of the same baseball uh, era, at least. You never thought, you know, Carlos Beltran, Johnny Damon, Jermaine Dye, uh, Eric Hosmer, a lot of the big names here were like, yeah, they're not staying. They're gone. Zach yeah. Grinke, even to an extent, right? I mean, that was a trade, but because it, the Royals were not going to pay him. Well, they paid Bobby Witt Jr. Get into this with me, baby. They did. They, they, they gave him the, the bag. And, I mean, we talked at the end of the last season. I told you they're going to sign him. Um, and, and I don't know. Did they sign him because it's the right thing to do baseball-wise, or did they sign him because they got a vote to win? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't care because they did it. And now that they've done it, they can't say they can't do it. So it's like, <laughs> you may have done this for this reason, but now your excuse is gone. Um, and, and that's great. I think that it's, I think it's a good deal for both sides. Um, I mean, Witt has some outs. He can leave after 2030. Uh, he can opt out, and then he can opt out again after 2031 if he doesn't opt out in 20, after 2030. He can opt out again after 2032 if he doesn't opt out after, 20, you know, all that through four years, and then if he doesn't, if he stays with the team through that, the Royals have a three-year option that they can exercise. Um, something tells me that they won't exercise that if he doesn't opt out because there's probably a reason why he's opted to continue to make $35 million a year when he could make more than that in the open market. But, um, yeah, I, I, it, it, it's a good deal for everybody. Um, what I appreciate about it is it puts the Royals in a spot with other future free agents, um, you know, players who are looking to get traded, they might be willing to come to the Royals now because of this. And, and a lot of people might scoff at that. But the truth is, 
if you're a free agent and you, let's say you're, I don't, and I haven't looked ahead. I should have looked ahead to talk about to who would be a free agent next season because it, they're they're mostly picked over now. But let's use Matt Chapman. I, I've I've yeah. heard his name connected with the Royals for a while now. Um, people don't don't believe it, but I I have. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but that he's connected. If you're Matt Chapman and you're going, okay, I'm going to I'm going to sign a six year deal, which I wouldn't sign him to a six year deal. That's another story, but let's just use it as, a, as an example. I'm Matt Chapman. I'm going to sign a six year deal. Why would I go to the Royals when they're probably going to trade that Bobby Witt Jr. guy in a year and a half? <clears throat> Vinny mm-hmm. Pasquantino probably won't stay because why? I mean, they, Cole Reagans, they don't have any pitching. They don't, they don't have any faith in their building. So why would I commit six years of my career and probably the, the only big contract I'm going to get in my career to that team? And it's amazing that signing Witt changes that because they've shown that they will keep their guys. They have somebody to build around. I think they need to sign more. I think they need to get Vinny signed up. Um, I don't know who else, but I think they need to, to get a couple more long-term deals in the books with some of these younger guys to continue to show that commitment to this core. But I really think that, that this is a game changer and, and maybe, I mean, they've got to, they've got to win some games. Yes. Yeah. But maybe helps to eliminate some of that bad team tax a little bit because you know, free agents know they're going to be playing with a superstar for at least the next five or six years before a decision has to be made on, on that again. And you posted this on Inside the Crown. This is the 14th largest guarantee in baseball history. Yeah. That's nuts to me, man. Like, this is, again, as you're saying, the bad team tax might now go. There's no longer an excuse of you can't afford to pay the player. This is a huge step in Royals baseball history. Um, When it comes down to it, were you surprised that it happened this soon, and were you surprised by the number? Um, uh, on the timing, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised because I thought it would happen closer to the vote, mm. um, which also kind of makes me think maybe it wasn't all about the vote. Maybe they just said, hey, we've got a superstar, let's sign him. But Because uh, like the vote's April 2nd. I think uh, early balloting starts like uh, the 15th-ish. A lot of these deals get signed during spring training, so I thought, all right, let's let's uh, let, let's do that. I, let, let's look at those dates and and forget that. I think I told um, Saran on his show a couple months ago. He made me give him a date, and I think I said March 26th because two days before the season starts, right after spring training, a lot of these deals get signed right before the season starts. So that that's surprising to me that it happened so quickly. Um, also, if you think about it too, he was in town for Royals rally. They probably put the you know dot of the eyes and cross the T's and all that. Um, the amount is a little surprising. Um, I think that the if it gets to a 14 year deal and that puts it at 370 what four whatever million. Um, I, I kind of had him at when I when I did the exercise earlier in the off season, I gave him either something like six years a hundred. 10 million or 14 years and 300, I think it was 50 million. So pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> seven, seven years at 148, six years at 110 to 115, I think is, I think, I think that seventh year 
that that's probably the annual value. So I think I nailed that one. And then 14 and 350, pretty close on that too, but it's just a little bit more. And I think part of that is because there's options to get there. So it kind of had to be a little bit more. But um, so I guess kind of right in line with where I was thinking. You nailed it, dude. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I hadn't realized that until we just I just said that and now I'm I'm like yeah maybe I'm not dumb hey congrats David I mean, Lesby smart I am, guy but I, I gotta go back and find that because yeah. I'm pretty sure I ended up around six years and 110 because my, my my argument was he's not signing for 10 years sure he's not gonna sign until he's 34 he's either gonna sign until he's 29 or until he's 38 or whatever it is like there's, there, he was just was never going to give up that second contract unless he got through that second contract. Sure, um, and so that's why I had six and fourteen. And as it turned out, he signed for seven, and then maybe eight, maybe nine, maybe ten, maybe eleven, <laughs> and then fourteen. <laughs> so, All right, genius. What's Vinny signing for? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I went through that exercise a, a while ago too. Um, I can't remember what I ended up at, but I think it was somewhere around like seven years and eighty million. And um, you know, clearly the, the, the Royals are looking at my numbers, so <laughs> I, I guess I'll say seven years and eighty million. I, I feel like makes a lot of sense. Well, let's say, I love that. I it, look. I think Vinny was on it yesterday. I really do. I my opinion. I, I have not heard this from anybody. I I have a feeling that the Royals want to see Vinny Pasquantino healthy. Mm, um, yeah. He had that surgery. I, I don't – it's really tough to give a guy tens of millions of dollars based on batting cage swings. Um, I mean, he's he's got to take a rip or two and not hit the ball and not grimace. And, you know, he's got to swipe for a, for a throw in the dirt at first base and not grimace. I, I don't I don't think the, there's a lot to prove, but there is something to prove there health wise. I would not be surprised if maybe that March 26th extension is Vinny and not Bobby. Yeah, uh, I am. This is the most excited I've been about a team that won 56 games the year before. <laughs> like, it's wild to think about, but just signing Bobby Witt Jr. and talking about Vinny coming back and Cole Reagans, and I, I want to talk about the roster projection that you actually put out on insidethecrown.substack.com. Again, we were talking to David Lesky, but there were so many new faces and actual names, right? We're no longer yeah. just hoping and praying for um, if 12 guys hit their ceiling, well, the Royals might be 500. Like, no, we're talking about actual players who have big league production, and now we're talking about a superstar who's signed here long term. I'm thrilled, but let's get into the uh, projection that you have on the pitchers here for next season, starting with the starters. What do you have it broken down to so far again as we're talking on February 15th? Yeah, and I mean, with, with this, the one thing to keep in mind is health is the obvious caveat. Like, they may not all be healthy by the time March 28th rolls around, and if they aren't, then things will change. But I, I think that you get kind of too far in the weeds when you start to to mention that every single time, even though I think I did. But um, I I don't know what order they're going to start in. I have a hunch they're not going to make Cole Reagan the opening day starter, even though he was so good. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, they, they like... Teams like to go with veterans for that. The Rays, you look at Matt Quattrero and his history, they haven't always started their best start on opening day. It doesn't also doesn't matter. 
Like, yeah. we, we look at opening day rosters, and I, I say this as somebody who's who writes roster projections throughout the spring, and the opening day roster is just a day. <laughs> like, it, it might almost be more interesting to be like, hey, here's my May 15th roster projection, <laughs> because it doesn't ultimately really matter. Opening day is one game. It's just that they're the ones who get announced on the on the foul lines, and so people remember those rosters more than more than others. But um, Leski, really quickly though, I know it doesn't matter as much in the grand scheme of things, but for the player, wouldn't that matter at least a little bit? Like that little bit of a nod. For example, yeah. if you're trying to re-sign Cole Reagans, wouldn't you want to have him be the opening day starter? Because then you you show him the gratitude, or at least a little bit of a tip of the cap, saying, "Hey, you're our guy." It could be, and maybe maybe a little bit. I. I think if he was closer to free agency, I would buy that more. But if he was closer to free agency, he'd probably be more likely to be the, the guy anyway. Sure. Um, I also wondered, hey, maybe Michael Walker signed in Kansas City because he gets to be the guy. Okay. Maybe Seth Lugo signed. You know, I, maybe I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. It doesn't ultimately it doesn't matter. There are four starters that are written in pen, uh, barring injury, um, that that are that are going to be in this rotation. It's Cole Reagans, it's Michael Walker, it's Seth Lugo, and it's Brady Singer. Yeah. Um, I, you could you could argue. I, I think that you might say that Brady Singer is written with a, with an erasable pen because I I don't think it's a hundred percent that he's not traded in spring training. I think it's like ninety nine point nine nine percent that he's not. But there's that point oh one. The other three are not getting moved, so two of them can't by by CBA rules. Um, I guess they could if they agree to it, but they won't. Um, and Reagan isn't getting traded, so. Those four are in the rotation, barring injury, of course. And then there's Jordan Lyles, who, I, you know, he's in there. Like, like you can almost write him in pen. The salary's going to get him seven to ten starts to start the year um, and see how things go. But I, he's the one to me that there is a chance that he pitches his way out of the rotation. Um I've also heard that the Royals are continuing to talk to teams and they're willing to pay some salary down on him. If they want innings, the Royals are okay giving up Jordan Lyles, which, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> it's not surprising. But, um, yeah, ultimately he's he's going to get a shot. And we'll see. I mean, he look, you go back to 2022 with the Orioles, he was not bad. If you get four-and-a-half ERA, six innings to start for your number five starter, you're doing something right. And I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm predicting Jordan Lyles to be a league average starter, slightly below league average, and give you innings. No, I'm not. But is it possible? Sure. And so I think they're going to give him that chance to show that. But that that's what I've got. And and the nice thing is they've got some really good depth now too. When you look at these first five guys, let's start with these first five first. Cole Reagans had a great ERA last year. He was phenomenal. His expected ERA was actually even better. That, I know. That's how dominant he was. Uh, Brady Singer, just sticking with the guy who was here last year, bad year. Expected ERA was slightly better at 4.93. Again, not what you want. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Brady Singer here in just a moment. But Michael Walker and Seth Lugo, both guys whose actual ERA was a good amount lower than their expected ERA. Are we yeah. a little too enamored, maybe? Maybe too, I mean, for me personally, I'm, I'm pretty pretty darn optimistic about those two guys but should we maybe tamper down expectations just a little was that their best season almost and the Royals are paying for their best season in reality they might take a little step back 
or what is your thoughts here with those two guys specifically? Uh, with Lugo, I think it's, it's well, I want to say more possible. Lugo only has done it for one year because he was a reliever and, and he signed with the Padres to start and he started and he was very successful. Um, and there were you know, there's a few things that you look at and you go, oh, maybe, maybe that will I'll take a step back. Um, but he's got good stuff. He gets swings and misses. I don't have a huge concern over either of them, really. Um, but I guess Lugo, I guess it depends on the minute that I'm thinking about it because I, I could make an argument for having more concern over Waka, too, because he's had two really good years in a row, not a ton of innings, um, but two really good years in a row after struggling for a few years. Yeah. And um, has he found something? Has uh, you know, Two years, so it's hard to say he's been lucky. Um, but at the same time, yeah, the strikeout rate isn't great. He doesn't walk guys, which is nice. Um, Lugo, same way. His strikeout rate's a little bit better. Uh, yeah, I think it's possible that they, that they back up a bit. But the hope is, of course, that if they do back up, that Singer is much closer to 2022 Singer than 2023. And the hope is that Jordan Lyles is much closer to 2022 Lyles than 2023, which you know, you're, you're hoping a little bit, but you know, we'll get to Singer. But like, hey, it's not that far removed from them being – you know, one of them very good and one of them an average starter. So, yeah, it's, it's possible. Um, I'd even predict it probably. I, I would say that if they're both in the low fours in the RA, it's, it's successful. Um, and people might look at their salary and say, well, that's, that's unacceptable. No, that, that's the going rate. That's the going rate for a slightly above average starting pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Um, $15, 16000000 million, that's what it costs. And that's, that's, that's what they cost. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're, you're, you're a betting man right now, you say Cole Reagan stays where he's at. One of Michael Waka and Seth Lugo, they do what they did last year, and one probably takes a step back. And yeah. then you're hoping that, that Brady Singer is the guy that takes a step forward. What are your thoughts on Brady? How realistic is, is it that last year was um, just a horrendous season? He bounces back. I, I know the velocity was down, and then what? He went on the – he got injured. They put him on the, uh, on the IL, whatever they call it now in baseball. Um where do you land on Brady? I've never been a fan. You know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the unwillingness to incorporate any kind of third pitch. I don't even care if it's a changeup. Everybody qualms on the changeup because that's what he throws. Throw a splitter. Throw something else. Throw a cutter. I don't care. Throw something different. And he's just never been willing to do that, which that's irked me. And, and especially I go back to 2021. I, I will never forget. He had to start against the Rays. And he's talking about these great pitches he threw. And I went back and looked, and they were all middle-middle. And I'm like, you are not a – I like accountability. And I'm going, you are not – you're not holding yourself to any kind of accountability. And that bothers me a little bit. Um, but on the field, he had a good 2022. And, yeah, he he had the issue with the WBC where he threw two innings in, like, 22 days or something like that. Um, it pushed the start of his season back a couple of days. He would have been the opening day starter and said he pitched – the, I think he pitched the fifth game, maybe the fourth game. Um, no, it was the fourth game of the season. I remember because they they lost the first three against the Twins, and then and then he pitched in, in game four, and they won. Um, why does my brain work this way? I don't know. But um, and and then he just kind of struggled throughout the year. He had a stretch where he was better, but the velocity wasn't there. Then he went when the velocity was down, and they weren't, and they were saying there's no injury. I'm going. This is really bad. Like this is like your career is over bad. If you're going from 93 plus to 91, 90, 91, you're not good enough. <laughs> just, his stuff isn't good enough to sit 
at 90.3 miles per hour, 90.8 like it did in a couple of starts. It's just not. Um, so it was almost a relief when he went on the IL with the back injury because you're going, oh, okay, well, that's actually a reason why you were not throwing as hard. It's it's a weird thing to be relieved about an injury, but when stuff like that happens and then the guy gets it comes out as hurt, you're going, okay, that's okay, I get it. That's why. Perfect. Great. Wonderful. And hopefully <laughs> that's what it was. He has, this is his first full spring. Mm. Um, first normal spring of his career. Think about that. Of his, well, big league. Well, no, I guess 2019 it was normal, but he was never going to be a big leaguer. But 2020 didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was in spring training, and he ended up making the opening of the roster in July because they played 60 games. Then 2021, there was a lot, a lot of protocol still in place. 2022 um, was coming off the – wait, was 2022 coming off the lockout or 20, last year? No, it was 2022. 22 was coming off the lockout, and so they that, that was a truncated spring. And then 23, he had the WBC. Mm-hmm. So this is his first real, regular, normal spring. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the whole reason for everything, but I'm curious to see how he pitches with that rather than the beginnings of the seasons he's had for the last – for, for his whole big league career. Before we move to the bullpen here, Lesky, with Singer, do you think Lugo, Waka, and then now obviously the emergence of Cole Reagans, would this make him more amenable to all of a sudden trying to learn a third pitch? Because I'm sitting here going, he's always been kind of the guy, right? Like even, yeah. even last year, he was still like, what, the second best pitcher, maybe third? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, and then all of a sudden, but now you have him probably slotted in as the fourth. Right, and yeah. now it's not even just set in stone that he's going to be. Uh, there, there's some guys waiting in the wings to an extent if he struggles a lot. So maybe he would be more uh, agreeable to all of a sudden say, you know what? Now I have to. Now I you am know. forced to. Is there something there? Where I may be trying to um, hope too much here. I mean, the reality is you probably are trying to hope too much because yeah. if it takes that for a big leaguer in his fifth season to make a change, then. He wasn't going to make the change. Um, But you never know. Maybe maybe that is something for him. Uh, Bullpen time. I know uh, we're up against it a little bit here. You and I talk baseball way too much. Or we don't talk it enough, and then when we do, it's just we try and get in as much as possible. We'll talk about the the hitters next time around. Again, make sure you subscribe to InsideTheCrown.Substack.com. That's coming out tomorrow. It was supposed to be today, but you know how that goes. Yeah, so... Make sure you subscribe. It is the best. It'll go directly to your email. Drink your morning coffee and learn more about Royals baseball. Um, obviously, some names. Will Smith, Chris Stratton, Nick Anderson, the guys brought in. Carlos Hernandez. Um, but a couple of names I found interesting. James McArthur, right? Really good uh, end to his year last year. John McMillan, who uh, very small sample size. And then a guy who was, what, the Rule 5 draft, Matt Sauer. Um can you talk about the relievers in general here? Yeah, I mean, the bullpen's going to be better because it almost has to be. But they, they did a nice job. They brought in um, some quality arms. They're not elite. Will Smith is not elite anymore, although he, his fighter is still fantastic. Uh, Chris Stratton throws strikes. He's got a really interesting fastball because it's not as hard as you'd think, but it's really effective. Um, and Nicky Anderson is he got the curve. He's, he's a good pitcher. He's health issues. That, that's the thing for Nicky Anderson. If he can stay on the mound... He'll be fine. Um, and then 
MacArthur, like you said, was really, really good in September. Doesn't walk guys. Um, he, he ended the year as the closer. I don't think that's the best role for him. Um, I also remember that was the best role for Scott Barlow, and, that, and that's where he landed. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's 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 where MacArthur lands. Um, and then John McMillan's stuff is just bonkers. Like if he can throw strikes, which he didn't do two years ago in the minors, but did last year, he's the best reliever on this team. Um, if he's healthy, and, and the health caveat with him is different because he had an elbow issue, and they say he's fully healthy. They do. Um, we'll see. I, I, I think that if he is healthy, he's he's not going to be the closer because I think Will Smith's going to get that role. Um, but Johnny Millen will eventually be the closer on this team if he's healthy. Um, yeah, and then the rest, Carlos Fernandez, I think he's kind of a forgotten name. He was terrible for two months, but think about how we were talking about him at the deadline. Like, that's... Yeah. That's a big arm and some results. It's not like he was all bad last season. And where I'm really curious, I'll, I'll get to Matt Sauer in a second, who is that other guy? And I think it's going to be a lefty. Is it Angel Serpa? I think right now, although he's got visa issues, so who knows. But he was in my article. Um, could be Josh Taylor. Could be Jake Brents. Could be Anthony Veneziano. Um Austin Cox, I, I didn't think he'd be healthy for spring training, but he's an on-roster invite. I don't know if that's a courtesy, um, but I thought he'd be out for a year. And cause he tore, I think it was ACL, right? Do you remember what I, it was? I do not remember. Whatever he tore, something in his knee. I thought that was like a 9- to 12-month recovery, and, and here we are about six months later. So um, if he's healthy, he's got a shot. He was solid. at a, He had some issues, but he was solid for the Royals last season. So... I think that's going to be a lefty. And then there's Matt Sauer, who, rule five pick, he gets strikeouts. He, his control is fine, not great. Um, I, I think the Royals really like him long term, so it wouldn't surprise me too much if they try to work out a deal with the Yankees to keep him and let him go to the minors and, and give themselves another shot because they got some non-roster guys who are interesting too. Dan Altavia, throwing 98 in, in winter ball. Um, Luis Sessa. I'm blanking on a couple others, but they Sam Long up on the left side. He's another option as a non-roster guy. So there are some names. Um, there's a lot more similar to the rotation. There's a lot more depth in this bullpen than we saw a year ago. So you know maybe that 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 to me average bullpen versus last season I think would have gotten them eight more wins maybe. Um, so you, you look at that and you go, okay if they're an average bullpen. Their baseline is now 64, not 56. Yeah, baby. 64. If they're an above average bullpen, their baseline is 67 and not 56. You know, so you got there's, 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 to, it's tough to exactly know that line, but you start to see this team and you, you see a way that they can, they can win a lot more games really easily. And, and the bullpen is a big part of that. Yeah, Lesky, I'm, again, I told you I've never been so excited about a team that won 56 <laughs> games before, and it's sad that we actually have other you know 56 win teams to uh, to pull from. Only one though, <laughs> and then they lost 50. Uh, they won 58 the next year. Well, then you had a 58 team to pull from. And I, yes, that's right. I don't know if you know this. I know we're up against it, but um, Briscoe and I went through this a couple of years ago. I. I don't know if I can still do it, but he what we would he would just ask me random years, and I'd tell you the Royals' record that season. I have a real problem, and that's why I know that they were fifty six and one hundred six and oh five, and fifty eight and one hundred four and oh six. The team that had Mike Jacobs, what was that record? The two thousand seven team. Oh yeah, baby. 
So that would be, I think they were 67 and 95 that year. Incredible. I thought Mike Jacobs was going to be a stud. Uh, Am I right? Were they 67 and 95? I don't know. Let me. Oh, look. I thought you were looking at I, it. I, I, I don't have those kind of. Te- I am 97, Lesky. My, I, 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 I am using a fax machine to try and look up stuff. It does not work I, very well. I know. Well, somebody will get back to you in the next couple of days. And let me know. <laughs> Carrier pigeon. But yeah. if, if you know how to use technology, go to insidethecrown.substack.com. Make sure you subscribe as well as follow him on Twitter at DB Lesky. Lesky, always a pleasure. Wait, I just realized I'm wrong. They were 62 and 100. They were 58 and 104 the year before. Come on, Lesky. You're better than that. I, I'm not, actually. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for having me, Sterling. Uh, we'll take a break. Come back home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the home stretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. ESPN Bet is now live in Kansas. As the official sports book of ESPN, ESPN Bet is the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities and shows. Sign up today and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Find all your favorite markets and bets like in-game wagering, cross-sport parlays, teasers, and all the props you can handle. That's ESPN Bet. Download today. What a play. You must be 21 and older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. I was laughing. I uh, did a whole bunch of interviews in Vegas on Radio Row, and there was a bounty setup. I don't know if you saw any of these bounty setups there, Kyle. Um, did a lot of interviews there. You can check them out and stack in the box on YouTube or Arrowhead Addict. Actually, I think both are on there. But they had a table made out of paper towels. Really cool. Thing, great idea. Table out of paper towels, badass. Until I went to sit down and put my arms on the glass, I almost knocked over and destroyed the entire, the entire like bounty floor. There was two, it was two floors, by the way. It was a two floor bounty setup. I was the first one. They, uh, we, we, we were the first interview of the entire thing was Jacoby Myers and Dan O'Connell. So we're there early. We're going to get set up. I'm trying to figure out how it goes. Like, hey, test it out. See how, how it is. Almost destroyed the entire two-story bounty booth. You, you, you should have seen the look on my face of utter just, you know when your chair is like lean back and you're yeah. like the point of no return? Uh-huh. It was right there. But luckily the, the, the glass went back on top of the uh, paper towels. So every time I was there to tell the players, like, hey, guys, don't put your arms too heavy on this thing. So I'm 5'10", 170. These dudes are way bigger than me. I have no idea how no one knocked it all over, but I I was almost the first one. So uh, I look back and think, oh, how Radio Row would have been different if they were just <laughs> been a dude falling off a two-story balcony of a bounty booth. You guys almost got a really good video of me. Yeah. Almost. That would have been a great memory. For you and everyone else who saw it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you ever go, hey, dude, the bounty guy. Yeah, the real bounty gate. Not like the one that's in New England, huh? Or no, sorry, that was New Orleans. <clears throat> All right. Legereus Sneed was on Up and Adams with Kay Adams. Um, said a couple of really fascinating, fun talks on there. Um, when Legereus was asked, which wide receiver doesn't like you the most? You want to take a gander on his answer? 
Is that wide receiver a member of the Cincinnati Bengals? Sure enough is. Is that wide receiver number one? The Jersey yeah, yeah, it sure is, yeah. It's Jamar. Jamar Chase. Which is funny, because he goes on to talk in this that him and Jamar chirp a lot at each other. A lot of trash talk. Which I interviewed Jamar Chase in Vegas. This is my third time interviewing Jamar Chase now. I say this to bring up the fact that... I, I'm not saying I have a great relationship with Jamar, but it's also the thing where this is my third time sitting down talking with him, first time in person, other two were Zooms, but I feel like he's fairly open, <clears throat> at least especially this time along. I brought this up. <clears throat> I was like, who's the biggest chirper on the on the Chiefs? And he, he immediately goes, Legereus, and he, that, that guy talks a lot. So, Legereus backs it up, Jamar backs it up, and I love it. I love that rivalry. That is one of my favorite things about the Chiefs-Bengals matchup. The fact is, I love when there are bleepsters. I love when you can rally around and say, you know what, screw that guy. It makes it more fun, right? It's way more fun to talk trash. That's why Reggie Miller and the Knicks was such a great ride. With the Pacers and the Knicks in the, was that the, the late 90s. Was that late or early 90s? Don't ask Patrick, me. you and John Starks know? You don't remember this? No, I wasn't born that <clears throat> yet. I'm about to throw this Kleenex container at your face <laughs> right now. <laughs> if I wasn't so sick, I'd come back there and give you a what for. Okay? <laughs> give you a noogie. But what made that so great was the trash talk, right? Yeah. That's part of what makes sports so great. The, the rivalry, the trash talk, the hatred. That, Way more that, fun that's than we have Chiefs that. Fans like a, a guy like Max Crosby so much. Just him and their quarterback going after it. Yeah, he does it the right way too. Exactly. Ma- Max yeah. is like very exemplary. I can't talk right now. I'm sick. I'm sorry. Exemplary yeah. in his words when it comes to Mahomes and his. Um, I talked to him a couple times now, and Max even talked about it. He's like, you know, have the utmost respect for Mahomes, but he knows when we go at it, I'm trying to rip his head off. I'm trying to get to him. Right. But. He goes, Mahomes is the best, and I'm trying to be the best, and so when you have the two alphas going at it, it's going to be fireworks. And it always is with those two guys. But to an extent, it's like the same thing with Legereus and Jamar. Just Jamar is a little more uh, even after the fact. Sometimes not as much credit is given by JC. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, well, <coughs> and I remember after the uh, the Bengals-Chiefs matchup, I, Sneed was asked about it. He just said, you know, check the stats. So he gave himself credit, and, oh, he, and, awesome. he, and he was right. It's awesome. But frankly, I for one, I'm a little bit surprised to hear his answer was Snead. I, I get it because they're going to be matched up together. Yeah. But I, I see Snead as more of a quiet dude. I, I figured it would. We been Chris all Jones. thought he's a quiet dude. Yeah. Apparently, until he gets out there. Yeah. Um, and then he goes on to say Jerry Snead in that interview with uh, Kay Adams. Asked if he has a message. To uh, GM Brett Veach. Pay me. Pay me. Man, pay me. <laughs> pay me. Pay <laughs> me. That's what I got to say. Pay me. You were quick on that. It's still pulled up from Petro's show. Good, good work. <laughs> no, I'm giving you all the credit. That's a producer right there, baby. What do you think of that? Again, it's the truth. Mm. It's great. 
Oh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And, it, again, I'm a little bit surprised. I don't ever hear Sneed talk like that. It's. I feel like it's rare, but now he can. He's definitely established himself as one of the top corners in the league. He's grown so much in his four years in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, he went from a fourth rounder. I don't know how many people had a ton of expectations for. Yeah. And he's blossomed into one of the best lockdown corners in the NFL. Yeah. And I remember when he was drafted, he was kind of a hybrid player. He played both safety and corner. And he was look a, at him now. He was kind of a safety that turned corner, while Chamari was kind of a corner that's turning to safety. Right. That's, that's my thought process. Um, but Legereus, man. Uh, love to see him in KC. I, I, I'm intrigued to see what the market is going to bring for him. I've seen some people, some folks I've talked to, they've said three-year, 48 mil. Now, Kyle, what, what do you think of that? I, I say three years, 48 million. Are you are you making that right now for Legereus? Yeah, well, he's going to be 28 next year, selfishly. He's gonna... a little older for a, for a cornerback, especially hitting his... Yeah, non fifth year option, obviously not a first round draft pick hitting the open market. Yeah, um, and selfishly, I'm going to say yeah because, in my opinion, I know what Chris Jones had to say on stage at the parade, but I di- I just don't know if I see him uh, returning next year in the Chiefs uniform, and therefore I think you can use some of that money to lock up one of the best defenders in the league. Yeah, so I'm for it. Three for forty eight. Oh, I'm for I'm I'm for it for sure. Yeah, I'll sign to that. I'll sign up for that. My question is when when you start getting into the four for four seventy, that's when I think you're going to have the real questions. Does does a team offer him that four for seventy mark? Um, Legarius was what three for forty, or I mean I mean Trevarius. I looked it up today. Let me let me look it back up because I had it pulled up. Sorry about that. Um, Legarius was three for forty, right? Javarius Ward was uh, what a year younger because he's 28 now, almost 29 when he got his contract. Obviously, markets continue to rise. We know about that. I think three for 48 is what I'd go. When you start getting more than that, I have a little questions just based on, I'm going to say the name, Namdi Asamoah. Remember that? Raiders and Eagles. I always compare cornerbacks to um, closers in baseball. Yeah, short shelf life. A lot of times. I'm not saying he's not going to be the guy. Jalen Ramsey is still great, right? Some dudes just stick around and they're great. I'm not saying the jersey is going to fall off. But if you're making that bet, that's going to be a more volatile bet than Chris Jones, a position where typically year over year, even with his age, is easier to... Um, mark out. Again, not saying that I don't want both back. If I had my druthers, give me both, baby. If I had my druthers, if you're telling me right now it's between you can retain those two guys, but you can't bring in a uh, stud wide receiver. Can't have Michael Pittman. Can't have Mike Evans. Mike Evans is going to be cheaper. And then there's other smaller contracts you probably won't be able to give out to. Think about Drew Tranquil. True. Willie Gay, Mike Edwards. Mike Dana. Um, a lot of guys. A lot of guys. Nick Allegretti. Nick Allegretti. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back. More Chiefs talk after this. The home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB.
best comment is on Twitter from when I we said that uh, I said I don't want to put Kyle in this. I said that uh, Tiger Woods hosling that ball made me feel better about my golf game. Right here, Tiger's most certainly not one of us, despite the hosel rocket. If anything, that shank should make his hacks feel that much more afraid of her game because we're not walking off that green saving bogey. Yeah, if you saw the shot that Tiger put up next after that hosel rocket, um, I am tripling, uh, triple bogey from there at, at best, dude. At best, that's a triple bogey. Are you golf, Kyle? Uh, not very well. We're going to golf sometime. I've gone with Dylan before. You and I are going to get out there and... Uh, I bet Dylan hit, hits missiles. Yeah. That's a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't make great contact. <laughs> uh, He's a baseball guy. He's got the baseball uh, Let me my think. Kia Kayahui. <laughs> Was it Nefi per- ne- Perez? Nefi. Nefi. Sorry, I'm sick. I can't, I can't enunciate right now. All like, right. my throat is just... It knows won't allow me to. Um, let me think more. Um, the non-Rookie of the Year version on Helperoa, maybe. You're comparing Dylan Michaels to these people? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> he, he's not here to defend himself right <laughs> I now, so I, I can do what I want, right? That's how it goes, baby. If you're not in here right now with me, I, taking some, you're going you're gonna to get it, pal. You're going to get it. All right. Before we uh, bring on Daniel in a little bit, um, I want to ask you here, Kyle. Talk to Matt Derrick about it. I said my thoughts. What did this Super Bowl win mean for you? It was insane. It absolutely cemented a dynasty. And I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. Given the job that Brett Veach has done putting this roster together, and he's done it with a highly, highly paid quarterback. And just seeing the decisions he's made with draft picks and assets, it excites me for the future even more. Yeah. Depth, depth, depth. Not just the studs, not just the stars. This was a full team performance, a full team Super Bowl victory. We'll take a break, come back, more home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. stretch we'll be joined by daniel harms in about 10 or so minutes gonna try and talk a little uh, off season with harms try and get his thoughts on chris jones legerius sneed do you try and restructure mahomes contract and all of a sudden you go from uh, i believe they would, if they restructure mahomes contract the second most cap space in the nfl for this upcoming offseason the issue is um that can's getting kicked down the road. Right. 
It'll come to roost at some point. But a lot of ways for the Chiefs to operate. Do they try and restructure? I think we all assume um, either cut or restructure MVS, potentially Joe Tooney. Um, a lot of names. You know, Drew Tranquil, Mike Edwards, Mike Dana, Willie Gay Jr., Legereus, Chris Jones. I mean, there are a lot of guys up for a new contract. Now, I think a lot of guys want to stay here in Kansas City, but a lot of times it does come down to money. Let's be real. You'll hear guys say they want to stay where they're at forever, and the next thing you know, um, well, they're not. And I, I wonder which way the Chiefs lean. If you can only keep one, Legereus or Chris, which way do you go? Um, before I try and sway Dylan, because I am going to try and sway Dylan here uh, to join my side, because, hell, that's what uh, I try and do, right? Try and sway people. Um, I want to get your thoughts before. If you can only keep one, do you go Legereus or do you go Chris? Mm, man, that's tough. I mean, obviously, conventional wisdom says the younger player and the one who hasn't been paid yet. Yeah. But then you watch the Super Bowl highlights and how many times Chris Jones wrecked the game. And mm-hmm. it's just hard to feel like you're going to go find that easily as well um, as a number one corner in the league. So it's just a it's a pretty hard predicament. But if I was leaning, I feel like Veach has a much better track record of replacing corners and secondary pieces than the uh, front seven, which is, I mean, it's not far off. Yeah. But, you know, you've seen a ton of, like, corners come in and out that have been really good. And, you know, we've still just had Chris Jones and a lot of free agents <laughs> on that line. That's the way I lean, too. If I had to have one, I'm going Chris Jones. Not a knock against Legereus, who, if you heard on the K. Adams show, Up and Adams, I don't know if you saw his request to Brett Veach, pay me, pay me. Uh, he was laughing about it, but again, he he understands that he saw what Traverius Ward got last year, right? What was it, three-year 40, if I'm not mistaken, for Traverius? I've seen some numbers from um, some people I've talked to. They're thinking maybe three for 48. Right, But if he gets that 4 for 70 range, that's when I think you're going to have a lot of issue. Um, A lot of difficulty keeping both. Now, the reason why I say this is either or, obviously we want both here in Kansas City. We would like to see both Chris Jones and Jerry Sneed return on longer-term deals, or at least multi-year contracts, right? We all want that. But for the sake of this argument and this discussion, the reason why I say Chris Jones, it is way easier to predict... Year-over-year defensive line, especially interior defensive line play, rather than the volatility of cornerback. Right, Cornerbacks, to me, a lot of times are in the same ilk as relievers or closers in baseball. Um, You're great until you aren't. Not meaning you can't get great again. We've seen Craig Kimbrell bounce around, right? Andrew Miller, um, Wade Davis, Greg Holland. Uh, The list goes on and on, right? Uh, Brad Lidge, for example. Like, I think relievers and cornerbacks are very volatile year over year. Um, you know, the best example is probably Namdi Asamoah, right? Um, I know you're laughing back there, but I think that's the easiest off the top of your head. It's a great, great example. It's probably the 
it's the dictionary definition of what you're trying to say, basically. Exactly. It's the original. And, and I do think it's also fair when you've seen, as you mentioned, the Chiefs' ability to find secondary members. At one point, Javarius Ward, who was an All-Pro this year for San Fran, at one point he was the unheralded guy the Chiefs traded for. Parker Anger, Thomason bringing an undrafted cornerback who turned into, again, as an All-Pro for San Fran. Um, Legereus Sneed at one time was that same unheralded fourth-round draft pick. Again, not saying I don't want both, but the Chiefs have shown the ability and the affinity of drafting and developing here, whether that's, Sp- whether that's Spags, Dave Merritt, Veach, whoever you're going to get the credit for, or the player themselves, they have found a way. They've not had that same ability at defensive line, especially interior defensive line. Okay? When it comes down to it, the Chiefs already have a all-pro corner, slot corner, in Trent McDuffie. They have valuable pieces in Josh Williams, as well as Jalen Watson. You take Chris Jones away from this defense, what do they have on the interior defensive line? Derek Nottie, who's up for contract. Neil Farrell. Neil Farrell. Turk Ward. I mean, like, again, just the name. Um, I don't know who put the mock out, but if you are losing him, that Texas guy, can't remember, it's Devondre? Is that his name? Uh, the Texas defensive lineman, right? He had a hell of a shrine ball, I think it was. Devondre uh, Sweat. There you go. He looked very good and very disruptive. Um, you can. It, someone mocked him. I think it was, I want to say Matt Lane, uh, but he had him to the Chiefs in the second round, and that's the season we're in is everyone's going to have like 50 mock drafts. Oh, I yeah. But I like it. Yeah. I think either way, if you sign Chris or not, if he's there, you know, that might be a good idea to kind of get ahead uh, of 100%. And Mike Pinnell to a 10-year contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but again, I, I, I think you're, you're, you're correct. You want to take a shot there as well, but when you have struggled to develop or identify talent at a certain position, that's a spot you need to re-sign. Again, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the Chiefs bring back both. Again, if I had my druthers, hell yeah, bring them both back. But again, if I'm going with one or the other, I think I'm leaning CJ95, even with the age. A lot of it comes down to positional value. Um, If you have different thoughts, tweet me them, at HomestretchKC. Love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I want both, but in this exercise, you only get one. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll be joined by film analyst for RGR Football, Daniel Harms, right here on the home stretch. Welcome back to the home stretch. Sterling Holmes joined now by film analyst for RGR Football, Daniel Harms. Harms, how are you? Well, um, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm doing all right today. It's, you know, been a, a rough 24 hours since the parade, but I'm, I'm okay. I mean, my daughter is okay. We were at the parade and we left early before all of that happened, but uh, it was, it's been a tough couple, you know, 24 hours, but uh, how are you and you guys doing? Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's almost trying to, um, you don't want to say return to normalcy, but you're trying to almost find ways to um, take your mind off of something that was so tragic when it's mm-hmm. out of your hands. There's nothing you can, nothing you can do. You feel helpless, you know. Um, it's kind of what it comes down to, and 
um, trying your best to um, take your mind off of something while it's still being in the forefront of your thoughts and prayers. It's just a very horrendous, difficult um, situation. Uh, obviously, Harms, wanna, I want to talk with you a little bit about uh, what this off season means, but I'm, I'm obviously glad you're okay. I know the, one of the first things I did was, was text you. I knew you and your, your daughter were there. Um, so first and foremost, very glad that you guys are, are obviously okay. Yeah, and you know, you know, part of part of this whole process, I, I, I understand that that's kind of our job, right? To to try to help take detours, because at the end of the day, I don't want people forgetting about what happened. But I do think that every now and then it's nice to take a little bit of a break mentally and talk about the Chiefs or off season or still the Super Bowl, because that did just happen on yeah. Sunday. So it's it's not something that I, I, I personally want to forget and. With it being my daughter, you know, we like you said, we were there. And I, again, appreciate you texting to make sure we were okay. I got a lot of people asking on, on Twitter and on my phone. Like, it was the emotional support the people give out in times like that is still a remarkable part of being human. And it was an extremely emotional and appreciative time that I got to see the good in people for reaching out and stuff like that. So it was... You know that was very very nice, and again I appreciate it. But that's what we're gonna we're gonna do now. We're gonna we're gonna try to give everyone a little bit of a reprieve and talk about still one of the most enjoyable experiences that Chiefs fans have had and gotten to deal with over the past couple of years. Yeah, I, I mean, let's talk about the game itself, and not necessarily from the players. I, I think you, if you take a look back at what the Chiefs did in the Super Bowl. They were better prepared. They were the better coached team, uh, and I think they trusted themselves. I keep going back. Now we know that Steve Wilkes has been canned from San Fran, whatever your thoughts are there. Uh, obviously, him and Shanahan did not see eye-to-eye, because remember one of the biggest plays of the game, what happened? Uh, Shanahan called a timeout. He did not like the way that Steve Wilkes' defense was lined up. On the flip side of things, you look at Kansas City, some of the biggest plays of the game, Andy Reid just goes, you know what, Spax, do what you do best, right? <laughs> like, 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 I think there are some similarities or, or, or at least some uh, conversations to be have of having an organization that is all on the same page while on the other side you see some discombobulation, you know, you know what, what's going on in overtime, not talking about that well on Kansas City, like, oh, yeah, we've been talking about this since, since training camp. We've been talking about this, uh, you know, two, two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. What would happen in this situation, this scenario? I think you look back and look down and go, you know what, the Chiefs are just a better coached, a better organization in, in regards to how to handle the, the, the big moments, and you saw it on Sunday. Yeah, big moments, you know, and we can even go back to five years ago, and six years ago, actually, bringing in Spags was one of the most defining moments of Patrick Mahomes' time as a quarterback, because ideally, it was Spags comes in, and he's like, all right, I know what I have here, right? And they're not perfect. There's lots of different ways that they can attack. They still have some deficiencies, you know, at linebacker, at, at secondary. So all of that, looking at his game plans, they were great game plans for the postseason. And we've talked about this over the past four or five years. Whenever the Chiefs get into the postseason, or even after the bye, is when you typically see the defense get better. Because Spags is one of the best self-evaluators, I think, in the NFL. He takes 
all of that pre-buy, pre-buy information and he sorts through it. And then he's like, okay, we do this well, we do this well. And then I have my own specific game plans for the postseason. But getting into there is how I'm going to take all this information and relay it. So he's done such a great job. And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, for three years ago, I was not happy with how the defense was looking, how it was run. And I suggested maybe it was time, maybe the game had passed him by. Very, very wrong about that situation. And I'm extremely happy to have been wrong about that because of what we've seen throughout the last two years, specifically how they've retooled the defense. They've gotten exact players that fit his scheme, intelligent players. They can run all the different things that he wants to do. So that goes to show you sometimes it is the long game to, to, to really play out. But like you were talking about with the preparation, there are always those teams that separate themselves amongst the top teams in the NFL because in those moments, in those games, everyone, players included, need to know what's happening. I understand that Kyle Shanahan had talked with his coaching staff, with his analytics department about the overtime rules, but we have multiple situations now. We have multiple team, uh, players that have come out and said they didn't know the rules. They didn't know all of the different things that go into making the playoff overtime rules different from the regular season now. So that kind of communication, that kind of involvement is important. And we're seeing how just little things like that, going back to even last year, Jarek McKinnon sliding inside the five-yard line, those moments of preparation separate the Chiefs from every seemingly every other team, and it's why they've been so successful. Um, and just real quickly, I'll touch on the, the, Steve, the Wilkes situation. I don't think he was fired for his performance in the Super Bowl. That no. first half and, and most of the third quarter, he had the, he had the door shut firmly on the Chiefs' offense. Yeah. It was more about what had happened before then and some of the decisions, that, like you said, the, the continuously going after Patrick Mahomes in zero zero read with a with off coverage like it, it, that kind of stuff was was weird but the post games the post uh, excuse me, the postseason games against the lions and the packers and even their defensive performance leading into the postseason are the reasons that he got fired but you, you can see why patrick was like yeah i'll take the blitz on guys i got no problem doing that but before we brought you on, we were talking about the defense and a lot of the free agents that are coming up for Kansas City. Let's start with the big two. Uh, Chris Jones, Legereus Sneed, what are the odds that both, one, or neither are back? Oof, man, I'm, I'm leaning. I think that they both clearly want to come back. We have now Legereus Sneed on with Kay Adams earlier today saying, hey, uh, Brett Beach, pay me. He's going to get paid. We don't know if it's going to be Brett Veach, but he's going to be up there in, you know, average a lot average per year, like close to $19, $20 million, even without the All-Pro or Pro Bowl votes and those accolades that he deserves. He's going to get paid quite a bit. He's going to be among the best and most, I guess, the, uh, the highest paid cornerbacks in the NFL. And that is the same with Chris Jones, because Chris Jones in the playoffs was – Every bit of an elite top first, you know, first team all pro player that you could have hoped for. He was outside of being double teamed and triple teamed everyone every now and then. He was unstoppable. He was the big reason that three touchdowns didn't happen. Uh, I know people talk about the two, but there was a different that play where Leo Chanel tackled Juwan Jennings in the backfield for a six or a seven yard loss. 
that play looked like it was designed to leak Christian McCaffrey out to the left, and there was nobody there. There was one person that maybe could have stopped Christian McCaffrey in open space before he went for a touchdown, but the reason the ball never could get there is because Chris Jones was in Brock Purdy's face. So that's three touchdowns that Chris Jones saved in that football game by my count, Um, and he was excellent against the run. In the Super Bowl, all things that people were like, ah, you take plays off and you're not great against the run. But just like this Chiefs team, when it comes to the postseason, he really turns it on. And I don't know if both will be back. I can't obviously tell you that, but I know that there are some things that Chiefs can do to create a a, quite a large amount of cap space by simply converting Patrick Mahomes's, uh, I believe, his roster bonus to a signing bonus, which is $30 million in cap space right there. And also MVS's number comes off the books if they choose to to go away from him after his honestly fantastic postseason performance that might – deter some things but what we will find we'll find out in a few weeks in a month but there are some ways that the Chiefs can get creative and, and create a lot of cap space so I think right now I'm more confident than I was a month ago that both stay I still tend to lean to Legereus Sneed as the one that gets paid and the one that gets signed over Ooh. Chris Jones just due to age but I would love Ooh. to see them both in Kansas City. Ooh, let, let, let's give me a little pushback here. I, I agree. I'd like to see both. Again, every time I, I, I start this conversation, I don't want people yelling at me being like, oh, why do you hate so-and-so? You don't want both? It's like, no, I do. But like, like <laughs> oh, I'm trying to be real here. I'm trying to be a realistic man. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to Chris Jones, the reason why I say him is I get the age. But it's way easier to predict year over year what a defensive tackle or an interior defensive lineman can do versus a corner. I, I, I said I liken cornerbacks to closers and relievers in baseball. Namdi Asimov is obviously the first name that comes to mind in regards to elite and then all of a sudden not. And I will also point out, not saying that Jarius falls off by any means, because you saw Traverius Ward continue to grow as well when he went to San Fran, second team All-Pro. But the Chiefs have done such a good job at identifying, developing, drafting, trading for talent in the secondary. They've not done that, especially on the interior defensive line. Now, I get more shots taken, but hell, they had a six-rounder Rashad Fenton turn into a actual performer in a Super Bowl before, while six-rounder this year defensive lineman Keandre Coburn turned into a cut. Like, I, I think there are just certain situations that I look at and say, I think they can replace... 90% in the secondary where I don't think you can replace 90% of Chris Jones. Um, That's my opinion. I get the age. I want both, but I think you already have a first-team all-pro corner. Again, I get it slot compared to outside, but Legereus started off mostly in the slot before he transitioned to outside as well this past season. Maybe I'm I'm off base here, but I think you can try and find a... um, you can have success defensively still with Legereus uh, if he goes somewhere else and gets paid compared to if Chris Jones goes somewhere else and gets paid because who else is now rushing the quarterback on the inside? Turk Wharton? Uh, you, you know, is Mike Pinnell coming back? Uh, I just don't see it. No, I understand. And I'll be, I'm looking at the situation through the lens of Legereus seemed as a shut, is a shut-down, lockdown corner. Those are, in my opinion, just as hard to find as interior pass rushers like Chris Jones because of the way that they separate themselves among the league's best. So we're looking at cost of effectiveness, right? And yes, you're going to be trying to find different ways to rush the passer. 
But I also think you might be able to – you might get away with some interior defensive line help in the free agent market more so than you will in the corner market. Um, so uh, what, what I, and I understand the draft point too. Don't get me wrong. They've done a great job. They've hit on quite a few guys. I'm going to push back on contributor because the way that I've seen Jalen Watson and Josh Williams play in regards to the collectivity of the defense is good. One-on-one where Legereus Sneed, Trent McDuffie shined in the Super Bowl, They did not. And, they have not gotten better from last year, in my opinion, and that's what we're looking at here. Now, obviously, all of this can be misconstrued if, say, Nazi Johnson, who got hurt in training camp, who was apparently in the running to be the third corner of this group, yeah. if he played, maybe we're talking very differently about this luxurious need situation. But he did just get hurt. He'll be coming off a lost season, another injury. So we're, we're talking about Josh Williams, Najee Johnson, and Jalen Watson, three day three guys that I don't necessarily think you're going to get even 90% of what you had from LeJarrius Sneed if he goes. So I get both arguments. Don't get me wrong. I, I think I'm just looking more cost effective and maybe that you could spend some of those allocations in free agency a little bit better and draft somebody as opposed to hoping you land another corner on day three. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Harms is our guest. Now, I want to ask you this one. If it causes you to keep both players, but this means you cannot bring in a legitimate veteran wide receiver, would you do it? Because my answer is a resounding keep Chris Jones and Legereus and uh, um, draft a receiver, bring in a, a... tertiary type of guy than try and go out and bring in a guy like a T Higgins. So yes, 100%. And by the looks of it, Mike Evans, T Higgins, the top guys on the market, even Michael Pittman are all either getting the franchise tag or coming back to their team. Yeah. So that dries up very, very quickly. And I, and I know that we've, we've talked about bringing in a veteran, a, a, a big, you know, a true number one in free agency and then drafting a receiver. The fact of the matter is that they might not, and it looks like they're not going to be able to do that. So I'm with you. Bring them both back. You draft somebody, whether it's trade up or in the first, second round, but just keep throwing bodies at it. You have to throw some bodies at it, and you can still get a guy like Braxton Barrios, who, again, I I like as a a veteran, but also a return man, a very good return special teams player. So the Chiefs can stop messing around with what's going on in the return. They've had three or four different Just ones keep Richie. Season. Harms, keep Richie. Richie. Yeah, that's assuming, again, he comes back. I'm assuming he's not going to be super expensive, but he is a free agent. I'm just assuming in this scenario that he's not going to be there. And he's also had some decisions in punt returns this year that weren't great. Oh, he, he had one. The, he had post, one, he Harms. In the postseason, he actually muffed a punt in the Super Bowl. He I know. multiple punts this year he shouldn't have returned. So, yes, there, you can keep him. That's fine. But I I'm, I say Braxton Barrios, as a, as a free agent guy, is a better returner and, I guess, a higher upside player out of the slot than Richie James has been. Now, I'm not advocating to just cut him and, and not try and bring him back, but my situation says he's not there. So I say bring both back if you can and then try to piece it together a little bit better than you did this year at the wide receiver room. Do you think Sky Moore 
has a chance to at least be a piece next season. Now, I don't think yeah. Sky Moore is a guy you're counting on, but I do think that Sky Moore is a slot receiver, and they used him on the outside because Rasheed Rice was used predominantly in the slot early on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if Rasheed Rice starts playing more on the outside, then Sky Moore can return back to his natural wide receiver spot where, quite frankly, yeah, he's not great, but at least we saw some glimpses there. I, I think you, you, you keep Sky. He's on a rookie contract, obviously. I would expect him to be back. And quite frankly, I'm not saying you have this sky-high expectation, sorry the pun, but at least you have some sort of, um, maybe some expectations of, all right, I think this guy could at least be a 400-yard, 500-yard receiver here in Kansas City. Maybe I'm off base here, maybe I'm a little too optimistic, but I think that's where I'm at here. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is that he's not going to be expected to be the guy. I think coming into this year, a lot of people, I mean, the Chiefs' social media team didn't help the situation, let's be very honest. It was a lot of hype for Sky Moore working with Patrick in the offseason, having some really nice plays in training camp, and those giving lofty expectations to Chiefs fans, even the way he ended his, his season. We saw multiple uh, areas of growth in his, for his rookie year that we didn't see as a second-year player. And I'll, I'll go back to what we've talked about before, in large part because, like you said, he's been asked to be the guy on the outside where that's not his game. Like he's a, he's a he's a fine blocking wide receiver, but he is small and he's better for op- already in space than he is creating space. And we we go back to his play this season. You know, the drop in the end zone against the Broncos is is what most people are going to go back to. Yeah, it's a tough catch. He got held a little bit, but you'd like to see him come down with that football. And the pressure on these players is obviously something they all have to deal with. And it's different for everybody. But I do think that how now Rasheed Rice enters that mold is, well, Scott, you don't have to be the guy. Okay, we have the guy who's going to do that. And I expect him to I, – I still think that Rasheed is best as a high-end number two. I'm not – we haven't seen them use him as, like, a true number one receiver. They move him around a ton. They have him run a bunch of different routes. Maybe that happens next year. That would be fantastic to see happen, to see that growth, that ability, because – while I think that his upside might be might not be, you know, like a, a legit true number one guy, I think he can be a number one. He can still develop. There was a lot of growth that happened this year that I didn't anticipate. So there's clearly some upside there that I don't really know about, that I didn't project and I didn't see as necessarily as a player out of SMU. So there's something there. But Sky, like you said, best out of the slot in already open space. You can manufacture him some touches because he's much better in space after the catch as a tough runner. He's not going to be like what we've seen Rasheed Rice do and just explode past guys that was never really his game. So I, I'm still holding out some hope that as a, a functional part of the offense, he can be a contributor next year on offense. Yeah, I, I am too. As far as the rest of the wide receiver core, what do you think it looks like next season? Who stays? Who goes? Um, do you have any names that you think might be here in Kansas City? Uh, do they do they heavily invest in uh, the draft, or is it going to be more of a sprinkling uh, than anything else? Yeah, so I, I personally believe that MVS, his services will no longer be required in Kansas City. I appreciate, again, the Super Bowl run, uh, and honestly, one of his best games in his career against the Bengals last season in the postseason will not be forgotten in Kansas City. But I, I think that he, his cost outweighs what he provides. So I think he, I think he will be cut. 
I actually think Justin Watson will be back in Kansas City. He, hmm. He'll be on his second year of his contract, and he's cheap. So I don't see a reason why he should be out. He's also a, a guy who's been proven that you just throw him out there as a punt returner. He's not going to do much as a returner. He, he, he's not going to drop the ball, though, so there's something there. And uh, we both believe and think this guy more should be back as a rookie because, you know, it's a rookie contract. There's really no reason not to. And then you're going to have some guys, like they, they signed Montreal Washington to a futures contract. He's on the practice squad. I think Nico Remigio is going to be in there as well. Those guys that kind of got forgotten before, after training camp due to injury and just kind of everyone else having issues, those will probably still still be there. I don't know much about what's going to happen with Justin Ross at this point, mm. but it doesn't feel like he's going to be around either maybe as a practice squad guy but they haven't used him they haven't really talked about him and obviously with the multiple injuries now it's been it's kind of up and down i also personally believe that Kadarius tony will be out in kansas city everything that we've seen this past postseason his words saying that the chiefs were holding him out he wasn't injured andy reed saying no he's definitely hurt like there's just something going on there and I understand that he's entering his fourth year of his rookie contract. Obviously, they're not going to take his fifth year. But at this point, you might gain more by not having him on the roster than you do having him there. So I I don't think he's going to be there. And I can't really judge who they bring in. I don't think right now you can say that there's a definitive receiver in free agency that they will go after that they can. But I'm still throwing bodies, maybe two in the draft. I'm personally looking at the first round. Now at 32, you're going to have some some players that are going to have second-round grades, high second-round grades that you can take at 32 and not have to worry about having to trade up in the second round. Um, it's a good tackle class. That's something else we're going to talk about as the season gets offseason gets going. But that's kind of how I see the wide receiver room going. I don't think, necessarily think it's outside the question to bring Richie James back at all. I'm just trying to find more upside in what we're seeing for guys that can play a little bit more on the outside and not just have a bunch of players out of the slot. Well, Harms, let's talk about the offensive line right now. What do you think it looks like next year? Um, obviously, you saw Juwan Taylor come into his own. Again, I will never love the contract, but at the same time, yeah. hard hard to disagree when he played the way he did in the playoffs and the Super Bowl, which, again, back-to-back seasons where tackles were maybe a little bit on the weaker side and all of a sudden they step up big come playoff time. I would have to imagine Donovan Smith is gone. Uh, obviously, you tip your cap and say, hey, thanks for being a fill and a great band-aid. You know, you came up big, you had your best games in the biggest moments, and you won a ring for it as well. Um, but I think if it were me, I, I like what Wanye Morris did, even at left tackle. I think that's the way I go. What are you thinking offensive line-wise next year? Yeah, it's, it's fortunate, unfortunate for Donovan Smith, who, again, like you said, I think he played his best football in the postseason after his injury, which they needed him to. But one year, $3 million was his, his contract, and I don't think he's going to be happy taking another one of those. No. Um, if he is, sure, come on back. You can you can compete for you know the tack, left tackle, backup, whatever. We'll rely on your experience. But at the end of the day, right now, I believe, like you said, Wanya Morris will be – Slated to be your left guard, your left tackle starter. Now, that doesn't and that shouldn't deter the Chiefs from drafting a tackle on day one or day two. It should not deter them. If there's a guy you like that's on your board that's there at 32 or in, at the end of the second round, or maybe you can go up and get him, you should still do that because at the end of the day, 
I believe Wanya Morris can slide inside and play either right or left guard, which is huge for them considering they're going to have some decisions to make with Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Joe Tooney as he gets older, now coming off of an injury. So there's going to be some decisions that, that you have to make at the end of the day, like you said, Juwan Taylor. I think that his Super Bowl was up and down, obviously playing against Nick Bosa and some of their, their pass rushers is not – he didn't have his best performance, but I think at the end of the day, he did enough to help. And that's really what you what you need out of your right tackle, and the contract is what it is at this point. So he'll, he'll be there. I'm very much interested in this draft. It's a very good draft class, and I do think they're going to draft someone on day one and day two to compete with Wanya for left guard. But the future has to be on there too, and I think they need to bring Nick Allegretti back. Yeah. He's a free agent. And he needs to be a priority free agent because he's that sixth guy, the guy, center, guard, flexibility, and he's a glue guy. They, they love Nick Allegretti, love him. And what he did for this team, playing through a torn UCL for 75% of the football game where he went to the sideline and said, I need an elbow brace because I'm not coming off this field. Nuts. You reward that? With a contract, and also because he's a damn good player. Started the entire 2020 season at left guard, has been a huge backup, and, you know, that swing interior guy, sixth man, bring him back. And I think that's how the offensive line shakes out. Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football, is our guest right here on the home stretch. As far as the draft goes, where is this draft strong, and where is it weak? Yeah, so we just talked about the draft, the, the top class. I think it's deep and there's lots of different players from day one day two and day three wide receivers very strong the quarterback class strong top which Chiefs don't have to worry about but for, for Chiefs needs specifically is Willie Gay coming back hmm. I don't know um, but this isn't the best linebacker class there are some good safeties um, it's I think the, the places right now where I'm, I'm looking at the strength of it are like I said wide receiver tackle corner um there are some really good interior defensive pass rushers and defensive linemen as Ooh. well should not be overlooked, especially like on day one, there might be three interior defensive linemen drafted. Like that's not something that we usually talk about. Like it, it's, and though they have all have pass rush upside. So that's something just to look at from an outside perspective. And it's not great at the linebacker position. I think it's a down year for the pass rusher as well. There are some good players, but I think the depth is, Actually, the depth at all the positions is really not, not there because of the COVID year. It just kind of destroyed some of the depth in this class with all the extra eligibilities and, and things like that. So the depth for, like, the day three guys might not be what we all think it is, another reason to talk about corner positions. So, mm. But really just the two places, the two positions that really stick out for me, um, three, I'll go to three, tight end. Uh, linebacker and safety as being a little bit on the lower end. Mm. So no Kelsey replacement is what you're saying. I don't think this year is the year to be <laughs> drafting a tight end hoping you get a Kelsey replacement. Yeah. No. Okay, good to know. Um, as far as the defensive side of the ball, you mentioned Willie Gay Jr. here. Again, Daniel Harms is our guest. What are the odds of Willie Gay coming back? I, I know I see him on the X tweeting some things out. I can never tell that's yeah. his real account, a fake account. Um, <laughs> it, it's always befuddling to me, but do you think Willie Gay Jr.'s back? What, what happened with Drew Tranquil? Is one or the other back? I mean, 
if you had your druthers, who do you keep? I mean, it's going to be tough to see what happens. Obviously, Nick Bolton's here and Leo Chenal's here, but you would like to have at least one or both of Drew and Willie back as well. Yeah, I, from what I've seen, those are his. That is his real account that has been tweeting about it, and he does not expect to be in Kansas City next year. I don't think he's uh, just tweeting out to hope that, that this happens. I think that he's legitimately. I got my Super Bowl, uh, both my Super Bowls here, and you know I, I don't think he's going to be back next year, which is is sad. But I do think that that means that you're going to see Drew Tranquil, Mick Bolton, Willie, uh, excuse me, and uh, Leo Chanel as your main guys, especially because Cam Jones played really well. I know we suffered yeah. an injury there at the end of the season, but he looked like he could be that that will linebacker that. Willie Gay turned into. Obviously, there's a lot of projection there, but he was all over the field against the Chargers. He was literally everywhere. The speed, the athletic ability are all there, and that kind of might have that might have been why we saw Willie Gay tweeting about, "Well, this looks like it might be my last ride," because they identified a player in Cam Jones and said, "We think we have something here, so we're going to try and keep the three other linebackers intact and see what we got in Cam Jones. And that's kind of how it feels, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I'm with you there. And again, again, if it's up to me, I think Drew Tranquil. I love Willie Gay Jr., but I think Drew Tranquil has the, yeah. the ability to play all three. Again, you saw when Bolton went down, again, just God forbid injury happens Absolutely. to him. You at least have a guy you trust as the green dot. Mike Edwards. Take a look at the safety position here. You know, Justin Reed, does he get an extension to try and bring the cap hit down? Uh, you know, Chamar Connor really stepped into his own. Brian Cook back next year. Uh, Dion Bush, uh, he played a little bit of a role here and there. Um, what do you think happens safety-wise? I think Mike Edwards might be uh, looking for a different contract because he played extremely well for the Chiefs down the stretch, yeah. especially coming in for Brian Cook and having to be that guy who's on the field all the time. He was the third safety earlier in the season, and, they were like, well, we can't really do much with as much as we like Jamari Connor. We can't have him be the other guy. So Mike Edwards came in, played very well. Um, I think he's going to get a contract elsewhere for his play, well-deserved. And I think that the Chiefs kind of understand with Brian Cook back next year and the steps that Jamari Connor took this year, that Mike Edwards isn't going to be as necessary. But obviously, they, like you, we talked about, they've identified – players in the secondary that fit what they want and, and, and can consistently get out of them as you know from my Connor on, on day three last year mm-hmm. and Brian Cook on the end of day two the year before these rookies that come in and, and just get football and get spag system they grow throughout the year and I think having a guy like Deion Bush is extremely vi- uh, kind of vital a really good special teams guy but can yeah. come in if you need him to he's not going to be super expensive but he now has multiple years in the system, has played spot starts or spot possession, uh, spot positions here and there. Obviously, with the interception against uh, the, Bal- the the Ravens in the, the postseason, like he's a, a valuable guy to have because of his versatility on special teams and still has that ability to come in off the bench if you really need him to. So I think that they're going to draft another safety at some point, someone that fits what they're looking for with the intelligence and the ability to play kind of at too high in the slot or down in the box a little bit. But like you said, I think Justin Reed should also be extended. He's playing fantastic football. And I'm not entirely sure where the hate was coming from, from Justin Reed, but it needs to end. Just go watch his last two postseason runs. At the end of the day, he's one of the best players on the field, and he should consistently be on the Chiefs team. He's still young, too. Let's not forget that. Yeah. It's because PFF does not like him. 
And that's what it comes down to. PFF doesn't like him, and so you think he's bad in coverage. Which, again, that's not his strength, but his physicality, his leadership, what he brings. He is a tone setter. That matters. Again, some of the... Um, some of the qualities you cannot measure uh, Justin Reed, I think, brings to the table as well. Um, this whole talk right here, again, made me think of what this past season was, and it was a testament to Brett Veach's ability to find depth, and it was not just Kelsey, Chris Jones, Legereus, and, and Mahomes. And if you want to throw mm-hmm. Legereus in there, he's a fourth rounder. The, the, the fact of the matter is, it was the ability to to hit on a lot of positions and not just sit pat and say, okay, well, we have three good linebackers. No. They brought in Drew Tran- uh, Tranquil. Not just, alright, this is what we have. No. We'll draft FAU. We'll bring in Charles Aminahu. We'll bring in Dion Bush will bring in Mike Edwards. Like it, this was a production of of a, a microcosm, if you will, of depth, and that's why I think this Super Bowl win means so much because it wasn't just it wasn't all just about the stars. It was about the entire team, an entire team victory. I thought it was very very impressive, and again, a testament to Brett Veach that maybe we should stop uh, getting on his case early in the season and let's let's judge what he does when the season ends because we weren't happy on Christmas and then we were all thrilled uh, last Sunday. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny because there was an article written in the Athletic by Nate Taylor about what the front office did after that that uh, Raiders game on Christmas. Like they went back and they viewed that everyone, the front office and the coaching staff, they evaluated their team. They went back to the basics, and Brett Beach was a part of that process. He wasn't left out of it, and that 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 should show everyone that he's just as much a part of what happens on the field as he is for all the decisions that he's made. And I, I'm here to tell you, Brett Beach is going to go down as one of the greatest GMs of all time. Yeah. All time. We're talking, obviously, he's been, he was one of the main reasons that he, that Patrick Mahomes was drafted. We all know that John Dorsey was the GM at the time, but if it weren't for Brett Veach kind of probably getting into space every yeah. day with more tape, more tape of Patrick Mahomes, maybe that doesn't end up happening. Um, and just look at this season in a microcosm. The injuries going into the Super Bowl. Charles Amenehu, Joe Tooney, Brian Cook. And throughout the season, that linebacker, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton suffered injuries. There has been so much depth having needed. I don't remember if I said Derek, Derek Nadi, but him too. There were so many players that they needed to step up. Going to get Mike Pinnell off the couch in October was one of the best decisions that they ever made. They stopped. They, could, they got to stop playing it. Uh, Matt Dickerson so much, and Mike Pinnell had maybe his best game ever in the Super Bowl. Ten-year ten year contract right now. Yeah, I can't believe Mike Pinnell didn't win Comeback Player of the Year, you know. I mean, he had it <laughs> yeah, right, right there. I mean, just go back. Just show this game to Joe Flacco and say, do you you think you played better than me? <laughs> the answer is no. I mean, it's no, doing? yeah. The answer is no. Yeah, it is no. It is no. And it should be a no because on the biggest stage, Joe Flacco, I mean, with the, all the injuries they had, they all folded. And, and here comes big Mike Pinnell forklifting the best left tackle in football for a TFL. Like, just be honest with ourselves here. The depth in this, in this team is the reason that they won the Super Bowl along with a great defense. The offense figured it out. And, and when you're that close in a game like that, Patrick's like, yeah, if you guys can just get me to the fourth quarter – I'm going to find a way. And then overtime hits, and Patrick's like, yeah, I got this. So defense, depth, 
that is in large part due to what Brett Beach has done. And he's cementing, like I said earlier himself, as one of the greatest GMs of all time with how they flipped the script. They got the offensive line better after that Super Bowl loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They reinvented the defense. All the time he puts in with the scouts identifying these players. There's no more while Brett Beach can't do his job because they've got three Super Bowls with a fourth appearance in his time as GM. Yeah. Like, what more could you actually want? Uh, I well, I guess five and five, but I think at five, that point, right? I think I think at that point you're just uh, uh, you're playing Madden. Even Madden, come on now, I, I would have to restart so many games to to win five and five, so, so I wouldn't take the L. Uh, Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at inharmsway19. Always has great off season content coming your way. Uh, look ahead at the combine, draft prospects, everything in between. So at inharmsway19. Harms, always a pleasure. Always, man. Everyone, make sure to hug your your loved ones close. Peace. Take a break. Come back. Home stretch. All right, so did FAU in the Super Bowl all of a sudden give you so much hope for what he's going to be that he's now going to all of a sudden turn into uh, Julius Peppers? As a guy with a recording around here saying that the Chiefs should take FAU with 30 and Rasheed Rice with the second pick. You said this? I did. Um, Wait. On Jack's show. It was on the night shift, I think. What year are you from? Like 2073 and you came back in time or? Maybe. I'm not allowed to say. Okay, H.G. Wells. I'll it's a time it. machine joke. The but, time machine. I, know. Yeah. I, I will take it, though. That's why. Because I have not said that because the entire season uh, he has had a, you know, a little bit of a redshirt year. So now I can, after one great run fit, yeah. act like I'm Nostradamus over here. Uh, he just turned 22. Like, just turned 22. He's young. It's insane. The, the moment not too big for they him. They like that. Yeah, and, they do. And, and that, obviously that, you can see why it's good. I mean, George, look at George. Yes. And this is why I say everyone has been on me on Twitter when I said, I, I posted out a while ago, I said, Brett Veach is the best GM in football, right? Like, I think at this point you have to say he is. Three Super Bowls in five years. And I was seeing other fan bases talk about, well, what about Clyde? What about um, FAU? They drafted him because he's a K-State guy. I'm like... No, they didn't. Like, first off, GMs miss picks all the time. It's what do you do consistently, and Veach consistently hits. And he wasn't like a third rounder drafted in the first round. It was, they allegedly tried to trade up, tried to trade back. They could not take two to tango. And who was the best available at that position, at edge, on the board? It, it was FAU. He just happened to go to K-State. Didn't see Nolan Smith that much this year. I think I think he got hurt early, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if he came great back. Great point. But it wasn't like the guys around him, you're looking at like, you know, the next Khalil Mack that went like four picks later. And, and again, he's young. We knew this was a developmental redshirt year yeah. because they had Charles and Chris Jones who could kick outside. They had um you know, Mike Dana, who's been a perpetual underrated guy. They had Karloff just like I, I, I don't understand this Oh, yeah. he, if he didn't get ten sacks last year, he's a right. bum. Like I think some people saw Karloftis flash a little bit more. But he had to. But he had to, right. 
I, I think it's a little uh, absurd that I hope they have that K State mentality for Ben Sinat or Sinet. How do you spell the? Oh yeah, the the tight end because he's good. Yeah, he yeah he was good. A lot of Mizzou players yeah. as well that are looking good in the draft. So hopefully they they're have all going to be great. They're all going to be great Mizzou players. Yeah. They're going to be great. They're going to be legendary. Yeah, I'm very unbiased. They're going to be the best players of all time. Every single one of them. Um, but yeah, like FAU, I never understood the the hate. I never understood the it's a reach. I, I loved it. The guy had the most forced fumbles in football his junior year, I think, and Bill Walsh said once that the best way to tell if a guy is going to be a big hitter, a big defensive star, is if they're forcing fumbles from guys that are taught to keep you know, high and tight and yeah. lifting with the same amount of weights and doing all the same stuff, mm-hmm. and they're, they're hitting guys that hard, then they're doing yeah. something. They're generating force, and you can saw that on that play. I think Brant also brings up a very good point here. Brant says, remember the grade that they gave the Eagles draft and they thought they were just going to be the same as they were uh, the year they lost to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Draft grade means nothing. Very good point, man. Sometimes we, we get enamored. And I thought Harry Roseman did a great job. And I, by the way, I think Harry Roseman's a great GM. Like, I think Harry Roseman's a top three GM, no doubt. Yes. But, but like, I think we all get enamored with, oh, it's the Eagles. It's Howie. That had to have been a good draft because look at the draft boards. Well, I think Brett Veach has shown time and time again Mike Dana was a fifth rounder who was a reach like Legereus in the fourth. Like, at some point, we got to wait for things to play out.